Hi, I'm Greg McDonald, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. My name's Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. So, another fun-packed episode bringing up to you. Um, we've got a brilliant interview with Greg McDonald, um, who was definitely an interesting interview. He spoke very, very well. We get plenty of Judas jibes in there for keeping us down, which mm, I think he had to learn to suck it up a little bit. But we, we got there in the end. I felt bad, though, because I think when I was going back over it, editing it, I thought he obviously feels really bad about it, and we just kept ribbing him for it. So I do feel a little bit bad. He's certainly not a jurist. He's like a, an East Five hero. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. He did feel bad, but we couldn't let him off too lightly. Oh, no. But in terms of sponsors for this week's episode, we have two. So first of all, to our very own soccerette, Lauren Higgins, thanks very much for sending your photo of your t-shirt in, Lauren. And on the back of that, we sold the last of them. So absolutely brilliant. There has obviously been a, a bit of a demand, Michael, you'll see on the socials, uh, people now wanting them. So we could put that down to Lauren's good looks. If anybody is interested in a t-shirt, I do need to get like a minimum order to make it worthwhile us putting the order in. So if you are interested, just drop us a message on the, the usual channels. So if, if we if we got a lot of orders from Lauren wearing it, how many orders did we get when your dad modelled it? To be honest, we had a few cancellations, which ah. I was quite confident when I put the, the Lauren one up after it. Funny, I was out for a pint with my dad this afternoon. He was like, you've stitched me right up there. And I was like, no. <laughs> you, get, you get a picture with me and mine, and then shortly followed by, you know, a, a really good looking girl after it. He's like, what's going on here? And I was like, well, you know, you lower the expectations to bring them back up, so... Also, this episode is brought to you by Anthony Gillis, your local business energy consultant. Contact him on 07393-748-907 for best advice regarding your business gas electricity supplies. So, not loads in terms of East Fife news this week. Rumours circling that we're, we're looking at a few strikers to replace the, the outgoing Anton Dowds. And the, the move that shocked absolutely no one, you know, we, we've spoke about it in the past, that we, we felt Anton was on his way. And I'm going to give myself some credit here. Um, I think I hit the nail on the head on Twitter when I said it was kind of like watching the ice, but the Titanic hurtling towards the iceberg. You know it's going to happen. You know it's going to suck, but, you know, it doesn't mean it hurts any less. As long so, as you don't start singing Celine Dion, I think we're going to be good. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so well, we're going to bring a, a little bit of a chat to you um, with Anton who we were delighted to, to bring on and, and give him a chance to say goodbye to the fans this, you'll probably notice that there's not going to be much of Michael and I gabbing in this one because 
Greg did enough gabbing for all of us um, in, in his section, so we're, we're going to have a little bit of shorter sections. Yeah, longest interview we've done was with Greg, but like listening back to it when I was doing all the editing and putting it together, highly enjoyable. It's just, I mean, you, you'll hear that soon, but it's definitely well worth the two hours of your time to listen to. 100%. So one of the things that we did want to touch on was the reaction to our fan TV, which has been great to see. So we've had a few applicants, um, and I'm looking forward to getting stuck right into that when, when we get opening. I think that there's a there's definitely scope for that to be really good fun. I'm not wanting anybody that's going to come on and just completely break the team at every opportunity. That I do want people to have opinions 100, percent but I don't want that to be sort of treated as a an EFTN forum for back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you are interested, and in, look, I'm looking for all types of sexes. Um, and all types of uh, diversity. So, if there's anybody that's interested, don't you know? Don't be worried about how your opinion would be looked at. I'm interested in hearing everybody. So, get in touch with me on social media on Twitter, Lee G1903, Facebook, Lee Gillis, or just message any of the social media pages. Yeah, I mean, we really seriously do want a, a good cross section, all ages, all sexes, no matter how long you've been following the team. And yeah, I mean, it's it's fine to be critical. Just, I mean, things aren't always going to be going well. There's going to be a time that you're going to be critical. But let's try and keep it as upbeat as we can, positive. We want genuine reactions, though. So, I mean, if things aren't going bad or it's a really bad performance, yeah. Keep it civil, though. I mean, don't go, like, over the top. We're not really looking to to censor this at all. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We touched on it last week's show. It's not something you get a lot of in the lower leagues, at least in Scotland, bit more in England and I, I think it's going to be a great thing I'm looking forward to it and get in touch with us we really really want to hear from you yeah and likewise a, a lot of a lot of good feedback on, on Bobby Lynn's episode I mean it's absolutely had loads of downloads already it's, it's been one of our quickest downloaded in a, in a long time since probably one of the early episodes so you know there's been a great response to that it's good to hear that everybody's loved the stories and and, and I think the, the most surprising comments has been well I think the comments mainly have been that people are really surprised by how well spoken Bobby is but after we spoke to Jay you know we, we t- tend to find that out that, that Bobby can upscale it before going back to full Dundonian so we'd be interested to, to hear your thoughts on on Jay's episode but not going to talk to you too much about next week's guest we're going to bring to you uh, Mr Anton Dowds just given his opportunity just a little bit of insight to his career and more importantly a chance for him to say goodbye to the fans so here's the man himself Mr Anton Dowds So thanks so much for joining us today, Anton. And I know it's been a busy time, a busy off-season for you. And I mean, you you were linked with a, a number of clubs this off-season. I mean, how much of that was just paper talk? And what was it that persuaded you in the end that Falkirk was the, the right club for you to, to go with at this next stage of your career? Yeah, so I guess going into the tail end of the season, there, there was rumours going around and and teams starting to make themselves a little bit more known, but there was nothing ever concrete at the time. And after that, obviously COVID kicked in and everything went really quiet, people getting furloughed, etc. Uh, so on the back of that, 
what happened was round about the end of June and July, then all the sort of clubs that I guess were linked with, it was quite well known, those, those all teams were all interested um, and all sort of made us some sort of approach. But I guess the whole time my stance was, I'm either going to go full time and give football full time a crack, or I'm not going to leave East Fife. Um, at East Fife, I, I sort of had everything I wanted. I, I was playing a, a great team. I loved every minute at East Fife, playing under good management, with a great bunch of background staff, and everyone who helped out the club trained in Edinburgh, which was brilliant for me and my job. Um, so I, I, I made that point quite clear to sort of gaffer um, and, and the chairman. I said, look, I, I want to hear what the full-time options are, but it has to be right for me to go full-time and sort of sort of either give it a go or don't um, because everything, for me, East Fife was a perfect part-time team. That was the perfect fit for me being near where I stay, worked well with my job and it was a, we were doing really well, sort of fighting to go up the last two years. Had some great cup runs. Um, I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, you, you had two seasons with us after coming from Heriot Watt. 20 goals and 77 appearances, pretty good record as well. And I think we all agree you've earned this move. It's like we knew that you wanted to go full-time. When, when you're weighing it up, like when you've got a job and you, you've got a good job and you've got the part-time wages coming in to, to boost that compared with making this step to full-time, was it just something that when you were growing up you always wanted to, to give it a crack as a full-time footballer? So you thought, if it, as you said, if it's the right deal that comes along, you, you basically have to give it a try and just see what it's like. Yeah, I, I guess the way I've sort of um, followed where my sort of journey to get to where I am is I've, I've kind of done the wrong way round or a different way round to the usual. So I've, I've been to uni and sort of got my, my degree beforehand after kind of being written off a wee bit coming out of school. Um, so it was kind of a case of now I'm 23 and I, I really want to give it a go and just say I, I had a shot at it um, but yeah again when it sort of comes down to you start looking at the teams in the higher leagues I guess the, t- like the teams like there was some of the teams weren't fully full time some were still hybrids some were part time but in more often than would be East Fife and it was Going to Falkirk really gave me that full-time experience of being in full-time with a full-time squad rather than only being a group of full-time guys and only a group of part-time guys. And I felt with the facilities they have at the stadium, it, it, it kind of gave me, it gives me the best opportunity to develop again. Um, and that was kind of the, the real thing that I wanted to focus on is sort of how do I go and sort of kick on again. That was actually something I was going to ask you because it's like, I don't know if you had any qualms about joining a, a team that's in the East Fife's division. Obviously, you're now going to be playing against the, the team that you've left. But at the same time, you're staying in League One. You're probably going to get more playing time in League One than you might do at a championship team or a premier team. Was that all the things that ticked the right boxes for you? Yeah, definitely. I think the sort of things um, I wanted to focus on straight away were game time and sort of facilities for development. Um, so those two, as alongside Falkirk having the sort of stadium and the massive fan base that they have, um, it, it made it very attractive um, for me to go and um, sign with them and get signed up. 
So I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous shows, Anton, but we're, we're pretty big fans of yours. You've probably heard that through the um, through the grapevine. So we're obviously sad to see you go, but equally, you know, Falkirk have got a great team, you know, and we've seen them against us last season. Some players that, you know, have played at a pretty high level. Do you see yourself getting much game time this season? Do you think that, obviously, you'll have had a chat with the management there that they see you featuring in the first team right away? Yeah, yeah. I guess when you go speak to managers and they try and sell you on the club, they, they try and tell you about all the the benefits, facilities they have, sort of the backroom staff and the things they do for you and all this, that and the next thing. Um, but I guess that was the first thing I wanted to know. I wanted to know sort of formations we're going to be going with. Are you going to be playing with two strikers? Is that the sort of way you want to play? How do you see me fitting into that? Um, and it was really a case of, right, I, I see this as a great opportunity for me, but how are you going to help me kick on to the next level? How how do you see me fitting into your plans um, going forward? And credit to Falkirk I mean they've got obviously Lee Miller who used to play as a striker so he was saying that this is the way I like to play um, with strikers and then he works obviously very closely with David who I think probably looks a wee bit more at the sort of defensive side of the team um, but the way they sort of played is, I guess what I've seen of them over the last year is they play with two up front a wee bit similar to the way East Fife played when we, we've always gone two up front regardless of the team we're playing against Um and like, I think for me, that opportunity, but also, I guess, there's still players like Connor Salmon there and there is players like Lee Miller, who um, I think he's signing on again next year. So there's, there's experience pros there for me to to learn off. But again, I think my I'm quite a bit younger than them. So hopefully it's an opportunity to me go and play, play lots of minutes. How are you going to look back on your time at East Fife? Like, what was the experience like? Obviously, as your first experience in the pro game, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, honestly, it was an unbelievable two years. Um, I've loved every minute of it. I, I guess coming out of uh, at what university, I remember the first time I walked in the changing room and seeing all the boys, and everything was laid out for you straight away. I mean, I'd came from four years of personally washing football kits and personally making sure that all the bibs and the training kit was all laid out for everyone. I walked in straight away and see Dave and Monty and John, like everything laid out for you. And I was like, wow. <laughs> um, and everything, honestly, the, the, as much as I loved, we had a fantastic changing room. I, I don't know how it was beforehand, but everyone in the changing room got on. It was a really close-knit group. But every, everyone, everyone round through the back, all the directors, Leona, the chairman, like they could not do enough for you. Um, and even the great sense of um, community around the club, and I think that was shown a lot. Um, it was really important to see that when things were getting a wee bit tougher. I remember it wasn't long into when my first season, um, there was a lot of redundancies in Fife area, um, and just the food banks that came together and the amount of food that got dropped off from everyone just pulling them together and helping as a community. Um, it was great to see. But I, I, I genuinely love the community spirit um, and the big games. I think I think it's safe to say. Um, I think it was really good that going into the Rafe Derby, um, not, there was quite a few of us who didn't really get why there was 33 years waiting. <laughs> but we were all like, well, let's just do it. And I, even before we beat them at Bayview, we, we should have beat them at uh, Starts Park. Yeah. So um, experiences like that, getting to play against Hearts beat Dundee United last year. Probably, only, I think we were the only team beat them at Tannadice. Um 
and then playing against Rangers as well, getting to play against probably one of the top teams in Scotland. So it's just the amount of opportunity and experiences I've gained off East Fife with such a brilliant gang of guys in the changing room. But like the whole support and the community together was it, it was amazing. Yes, but it's my friend Isla that um, she did quite a lot of the the drives for the food bank and stuff and I, I don't think she actually got enough credit that she deserved for that because she did an amazing job of bringing the community together at a time that it was really needed. So if we think about your time at East Fife then obviously played with us for two years and you played with some some great players but if you had to pick one, gun to your head, who was the best player you played with us? Um, best player I've played with would... I guess it's probably between two in the sense that it's either um, Aggie or Kev, to be honest. Um, I know Kev, uh, Kev the amount of games he's played in the last two years, we've probably not played that very much together, but um, just with him in training um, and sort of playing with him in the games, especially when we started, um, I knew it was when I first sort of made my bait through the Betfred Cup games, me and Kev played up front together. Um, and the way he just talked me through it right from the start, like I, I learned so much off him. And I think I, I learned that quickly because he was so good at just teaching you wee things. Um, and you don't see that until you actually are running about playing for his five, don't really know how the team plays and stuff like that. But Kev just talks you through everything, makes it so much easier. And then just uh, Aggie as well, just for just his vision, just the sort of player where you make a run, the ball comes. Um, which I, you can see it doesn't happen as much as it should. It, you'd think going into professional leagues, especially coming from a striker, you see it up and down the leagues. People make runs and runs and runs and the ball doesn't come. But Aggie has that bit of quality, free kicks, dead balls, standing over it. Um, I think he's kicked on again from when he started East Life and he's just got better and better. Uh, since he came back from his shoulder injury especially. The, the thing with Aggie is he's one of those players as soon as you see him get the ball he's one of the ones that make you sort of you know mm. lift off your, your seat because you just know that something's going to happen and, you know as a striker I suppose that's everything that you would you'd be looking for so I've got one last question to ask you and it's one that I, I tried to find online before we spoke to you about who did you support growing up? Who did I support growing <laughs> up? Um, I was a Celtic fan. A Celtic fan right okay. Mm. That's fine. I was wondering if you'd been a, a sort of Edinburgh-based boy, if it had been Hearts or Hibs, but nah, fair enough. Yeah. That was just me being nosy, by the way. I don't even know. <laughs> I just wanted to know. When you look back at the games you, you played in, and, and I mean, is there any particular match that you feel stands out for you above all the others? Or the one that you, when you look back at your East Five time, it's going to be the one that you say you enjoyed the most? I think results-wise, either the, the first one against Rafe Rovers, I was just massive, and I just thought it was. I thought we started really poorly, um, and then just by the second half, after we got the first goal back through, it was Kev got the first goal, and then it was just absolute bombardment for about twenty five minutes, and you could tell everyone in the ground. It was probably the first time for the new guys, especially the team. We thought, oh my god, this is how much it means to everyone in the stadium, just because everyone was willing the ball up the, into the goal, um, and then probably the. Uh, when we managed to beat Dundee United in the preseason, because yeah. um, I know we had a bit of a ropey start getting, going and getting beat off Cowden Beef, um, and then we we beat Sten, uh, Stenhouse Muir at home, and then 
we were going up there and, and that was I think it's testament to the boys fitness but again the togetherness because I know in our car school so I travelled with Dunsey Kev Stuart Murdoch and Danny Denham and we were actually about 20 minutes late because we all finished work at about the back of six flew up the road to get in turn up to get self changed quickly out for a quick warm up and it's sort of the testament of all the boys being together for about a year at that point already um, and then to go out there and play the way we did against Dundee United who really should have gone up the year before and eventually end up walking the championship um, just the season passed I think that really showed the quality of the team So like over here in North America there's a lot most of the players they kind of go through I mean you touched on this earlier you went to college and then went into the pro game but most of the guys here go through college first and then they start their careers a little bit later so one of the th- questions I always ask them when they come out of college and the, the, when they've just started playing is the adjustment from the college game to the, the pro game. So when you left Terry at Watt initially and then came to East Fife, how big a jump was that for you to have to get used to, to what you were playing against? Uh, yeah, it was a big it was a big jump sort of physically and a different type of fitness. Um, I remember the first few pre-seasons, so I, I, I was just on trial for most of the pre-season before I signed my first amateur deal at East Fife. Um, and I remember going into it, I, was, I hadn't really finished playing football from the season before because um, of how long it had ran on. And I was feeling really fit when we were doing all the long runs. And then I remember when we went into the short passing drills, it's just a different type of fitness. And you're playing with a higher standard player and the ball's moving a lot quicker. And that's when I was really starting, like, right, this is this is a, definitely a step up. Um, and I think it's, I think where I was at Heriot Watt was guys were probably physically just as fit, but they weren't as smart, like savvy of how they used their body and they just weren't as clever at football. Um, and sort of that understanding experience in the game is definitely something that I, I noticed and try to learn quickly uh, when I made the step up and don't, don't bust yourself all the time, sort of reserve running, press at the right points, press in a certain way, um, try and keep the ball. Like Keeping the ball was stressed is so much more important because nobody wants to chase after it. <laughs> it's harder to get back. So um, just things like that. I think it was more sort of an education rather than getting myself physically ready for it. You're making the jump again then from part-time to full-time. What kind of adjustment do you think that that is going to be to you? And if you're looking now at the next stage of your career, what what do you think is the key aspects of your game that you're going to have to work on the most? Um, I think I think now, sort of, when I was at East Fife, I always I went to East Fife the same time I started my job coming out of uni. Um, I was always rushing to gyms and doing extra on the back of a nine-to-five job that would often run on for longer. Um, now I've got that opportunity to do it as part of my routine. But I've got more time to do extra. Um, and I think that's certainly things I, I think I'm, I'm very aware of. Like it's, I've still got lots I need to work on. Sort of, sort of the first thing you want to work on is goals as a striker. You want to get a few more goals under your belt. Um, I think sort of linking the play and, sort of holding the ball up a wee bit, wee bit more, um, which is something I think playing for a team like East Fife, obviously being part-time in a team, in a league that always had full-time and hybrid systems, you often didn't have a lot of the ball. So as a striker, you would have to go and hold on to it when we did have it. 
Um, but I think at Falkirk, it's probably going to be stressed more in sort of finishing and stuff like that. You're, we're going to have naturally more of the ball um, just because it's a full-time setup. And it's things like that where I really want to sort of fine-tune and sort of polish aspects of my technical side of the game as well as I think natural um, physical aspect will come with just being training more. So finally, before we let you go, um, from these five fans, we just want to say thanks for everything that you've, you've given to the club and we really appreciate, you know, it was great to see, you know, I think it was Andy English actually that mentioned on Twitter about, you know, the way you're, like, you lit up the ground when you smiled after you scored a goal. Absolutely amazing to see and, you know, we've seen how much you love the club. Second of all, for me, thanks for not signing for the Rovers. Um, that, was, that was really, really important because you go down in the shit list forever if you go there. So um, at least if things don't work out at Falkirk, you can come back. <laughs> but finally, before we let you go, mate, have you got any messages for these five fans? Anything you want to say? Yeah, just thank you so much for being, um, I guess, patient uh, with myself right at the beginning and give me a chance and, and all the constant support that you've given ourselves and um, uh, and the rest of the team over the last two years. I think I think we've had some amazing memories beating the Rovers, managing to get to Dublin and not kick a ball, but all having a party, um, and then getting getting to the latter rounds of the Scottish Cup last year as well, and then running it close again this year for the playoffs, unfortunately, to be curtailed by what was a pandemic that nobody saw coming. Um, but the constant support, um, I guess, the, guy, the young lads that came along this season as well and drummed up an atmosphere, even at friendlies and things like that, was just... It was a great place to be, great place to play my football, um, and a great community spirit, and they were very welcoming to me and my family. Um, and definitely, never say never when it comes to when it comes to football. See, hopefully, might be back at some point. Well, don't score too many goals against us next season. I, I would like to say don't score any against us, but normally when people come back, they come back to on us. So we'll give you one, but that's it. And when we beat you three one, look, mate, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it because I know that your phone's probably been pretty busy the last few days so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us Thanks so much for your time today Anton that's been great good luck at Falkirk yeah, and as Lee says don't don't score against us No problem at all thank you so much and uh, all the best for the rest of the podcast So I don't know about you, I enjoyed our interview with Anton, clearly a very learned guy, somebody that's got his head screwed on from a young age and knows what he wants. I don't think that it looks like he's went purely for money, he just wants to give the the full-time footballer crap, mate. Yeah, it's one of those situations. If it's something that you've really wanted to do and the opportunity presents itself, if you don't take it, you're going to kick yourself. I mean... He could have stayed at East Fife for another season. He talked about that if he felt it wasn't the right fit. He doesn't know if full-time football is going to come around again. Say he stayed with East Fife and had a bad season. Are the full-time clubs going to be sniffing about him then? So he has to take this opportunity. We wish him all the best. I I think he'll do well. I think Falkirk, sadly for us, is a good landing spot for him. But it it was good to hear him say that he weighed everything up and he wanted it to be the right fit. It seemed to tick all the boxes. He's discussed playing time. That was the main motivating factor for him. So it's not money. He wants to go somewhere where he knows he's going to get a fair shake at it. And it looks like the Bairns are going to offer him that. I think 
we've got only got to look at the front line for, for Falkirk and, and see the sort of experience that they could give to Anton and that's no disrespect to Kevin Smith but you know you look at players like Connor Salmon you look at players like Lee Miller although I would probably argue that Kevin Smith's better than Lee Miller but that's a, an argument for another day but you've got to look at as much as I don't rate Connor Salmon he's had a great career so it is a chance to go and learn from a Billy Brown-esque character being places done things so you know good luck to Anton we wish him all the best just not against us like we said a good few yeah. times yeah I mean absolutely and I, that was the first time I began a chance to to speak to Anton I only saw him play one game in person when when I was over back in February I mean wish him well if he ends up back at East Fife someday we'll welcome him with open arms but we'll see what goes I mean the, the sad thing about it is folks going to have listened to that interview and they're going to be like, oh, he's left now, the podcast started, no one's going to know if he fancied a chocolate digestive or not. Well, fear not. We couldn't let him leave these five without asking that. Here's what he had to tell us. If you're sitting at home, you decide to have a hot beverage of choice. Do you go for a tea, a coffee, or something else? A coffee. And are you a biscuit fan? Do you have a sweet tooth? Yep, I would take a biscuit, yeah. What would be your biscuit of choice? Um, probably a Kit Kat. And are you a dunker? Uh, no. Well, I'm glad you've left it. <laughs> That's great. Anyone fancy a chocolate so there we go, Mr. Anton Dowds. He does like a bit of a bicky, but didn't really give too much away. Kept his cards close to his chest. So we're going to bring back to you one of the, the new sections that we introduced last week, and I put a bit of an appeal out on social media for any sort of local Scottish Fife artists. And one of the ones that was recommended to me was a young lad from Edinburgh called Joshua Grant. I actively encourage you. There's, I couldn't decide between two singles of his that I really wanted to play. One was called Transparent and the other one was called Edinburgh. We've gone this week for Edinburgh purely because the minute I heard that, I just fell in love with it. It's, it's very, very good. So a bit about Josh himself, he's a singer-songwriter, um, and he started making music a year ago. His first single was Transparent. And there's now four singles down the line with his most recent single. And this week's feature, Edinburgh, hitting number one in the Scottish charts. He managed to make the most of early 2020 by supporting Tom Walker and Busking in New York. I really think this boy's got bags of potential, Michael. I think that, you know, if you're a fan of sort of Pill and Natini, Lewis Capaldi, that sort of idea, um, there's certainly scope for... A lad like Joshua to make it into that market. You know, we've seen people like Nina Nesbitt and stuff come out of Edinburgh too, and I think that Joshua's got all the potential to go that way. So here he is, Joshua Grant, with his latest single, Edinburgh. I hope you enjoy. This feeling's kind of strange blood Rushing right through my veins I now need this feeling to go on Don't know how to describe it Walked in in the room and silent Why does it feel like I've known you forever? Don't ask me how I know this Is your favorite smell is roses Down in the shop in Morningside 
Could you hear off down on George Street? Drag me up by the sea to watch the sunset. And that's when you said, maybe it's a matter of time before the world swallows you up and leaves me behind. So, not just want to know if you meet me down on Moulding Road tonight. You've been out on the town now Your tears are falling down And wiping the makeup off your face Lost you in the smoking area Had something I had to tell ya But it'll have to wait God knows it'll have to wait Don't quite know how to say this Thought the ending would be painless But I have been wrong before I miss nights at the West End Getting drunk with my best friends But you were there So I didn't care that It's only a matter of time Before the world swallows you up And leaves me behind So not just want to know If you meet me down on So there you go, that's Joshua Grant in Edinburgh. You can find Joshua on Twitter at Joshua underscore Grant. Grant with two T's at the end of that. Actively encourage you to go and give that a listen. Really, really great song. And it speaks about a lot of the well-known places in Edinburgh, everywhere from Arthur's seat to Lothian Road. So I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. I, I thought it was an excellent track. It's another one I, I hadn't heard of him until he sent me it. And then I listened to that. I listened to Transparent as well. And... Scotland just now, it feels like we're producing a lot of really good singer-songwriters, male and female. And I think we can add Joshua into that. It's exciting because the Scottish music scene right now is some of the best it's been for for a number of years. Really recommend that everyone checks that out. For me, listening to it, I mean, we've talked a lot in shows before. Like You used to go out a lot in Glenrothes and Kirkcaldy to Kitties and stuff. I was more, I always went over to Edinburgh. And it's like when I was back in February there, the last time I'd been over, I wasn't able to go to Edinburgh because I came down sick. So this time I spent the whole day there and the night and I was just wandering about the streets and going to some of my old haunts and like the last drop and stuff on Lothian Road. And it's, it's one of the things when folks say to me, what do I miss most about Scotland? Obviously there's the football, family, friends, all that kind of stuff. But Edinburgh is a, a place I really, really miss. I was always over at the festival every year, and it's. I thought that song just captured what it's been like just going out in a night out and in the streets of Edinburgh. Great selection, Lee. 
Thanks very much. Um, I was actually speaking to, to Rachel today about the gig that we went to Meadowbank Stadium. I don't know if you remember that one. So the Pixies? Was, no, it was Kaiser Chiefs, Razor Light. Pigeon Detectives? V- oh, the Pigeon Detectives, that was right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the first time I'd ever been to Meadowbank Stadium and RIP Meadowbank as well. Yeah. But yeah, that was um, another Edinburgh time. And, and you know, the Edinburgh doesn't get the the gigs that I feel like it deserves considering yeah. it's a capital city. It's just because it's sorely lacking a good venue. Hopefully that gets corrected soon. But anyway, um, now here's the part that you're probably here for, the interview. So we're going to bring to you Toro, the, the man himself, Greg McDonald, former captain, also a, a relative um, who's a, a famous, famous footballer as well. I'll not spoil that for you if you didn't know that because I certainly didn't know that until they started telling us. So, yeah, Michael's shaking his head, so he didn't know either. There you go. So, I hope you, we hope you enjoy it. Here comes Greg McDonald. So, delighted now to be joined by a man that spent six seasons at Bayview from 2003 to 2009, According to Wikipedia, 159 appearances and 33 goals for the black and gold. Welcome, a guy that's still held in very high esteem down Bayview A, Greg McDonald. Toro. Hi guys, how are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, Toro has joined us and we're starting off all these chats just by... But asking really how how lockdown's been been for you. I know chatting before we were recording this, you mentioned you'd, you'd been working the whole time. But I mean, just on a personal sort of level, how has it been kind of juggling work and family life during all this and trying to stay safe? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I work from home uh, quite a lot. Um, but normally the well, I've got two little girls, uh, and normally they're at school and, and nursery, so you know I get a bit of peace. Um, so I think homeschooling's been. Uh, it's been an eye opener. New respect for teachers, um, definitely. Um, but and when the weather's fine, it's good. We can get out in the garden and that type of stuff. And, and when it's not so much, you know, those days are a little bit tougher. But uh, yeah, just trying to spell it between between work and stuff, and you know, like everybody else, trying to order stuff off the internet and you know and <laughs> that type of thing. So yeah, it's, uh, at first I, I have to say I quite enjoyed it. Getting some time at home uh, as well was pretty good. And time with the girls, uh, it's getting a wee bit boring now and missing the football definitely. Oh yeah, I think think we all are. At least it's back on TV for for watching. Have you have you been watching much of the games that's on TV then now? I, to be fair, it's been good in the English Premiership to put on some friendlies while we're waiting for our football to go out. No, I, I think uh, there's been there's a few of the games have been pretty decent, so I've watched them. Some of them are have been a little bit dry, not you know not that much atmosphere, but you know it's just the circumstance uh, around it. So yeah, I've watched a wee bit since it, since it came back. So. What we're going to do it today? We're going to take a journey through through your career. Lots of East Fife chat in this, but I want to just start things off by getting you to tell us just really about your, your love of football. When did you realise that you had a talent and you could be a pro and like when did you start playing seriously on the football pitch? Um, so I'd always been kicking a ball about from from young. Um, I'm kind of my football has, you know, there's football in my family. I think you, you guys know Morris Malpas is my uncle. 
Um, so, you know, my, football was kind of ingrained in, in my family, you know, through that. Um, my dad's, you know, big into his football and, uh, as well. Uh, and because of my uncle, like my mum and, you know, my gran and all that, were, and my granddad were right into football. So uh, it's always been kind of around about, I, th- I started playing with Harley Villa uh, in Resyth about uh, when I was eight and started playing with the under-10s there. Um, and pretty quickly after that, um, uh, Dunfermline came and asked, a scout from Dunfermline came and asked if I would go along to once a week training. So I kind of started with, with Dunfermline when I was about eight, um, which was pretty young and uh, eight, kind of nine. Um, and I kind of worked with them all the way up until I signed with them kind of full time as well when I was about 17, uh, 18. Um, but I would say I kind of started getting into it around about eight, nine. Um, I played for Rosyth Rec and Harley Villa um, and Hillaby Swifts uh, as well. And, uh, um, and I started to train with uh, a few professional teams, so uh, Hibs and Wraith Rovers and uh, Rangers and uh, Cowdenbeath, and then I was at I was at Leeds from the age of about fifteen to you know fifteen to seventeen as well. Um, so it was just one of those things where you know I heard I've listened to some of your other podcasts and and some of the guys saying the same thing as well, where it's like you know Monday was was Wraith training, Tuesday was Dunfermline, Wednesday Aye. was Hibs, Thursday was you know and, and basically every day, and then you'd play for your school on the Saturday morning and your club side on the Sunday morning. Um, and then home to watch Gazette of Football Italia. So, I mean, I now look back and have like you know big respect for my mum and dad, kind of ferrying me about all over the shop for you know for all for all these things. So, um, yeah, just got into it massively there, and and then got to the point when I was about kind of sixteen, or um, and Dunfermline wanted me to sign and go uh, and do my YTS from seventeen. Um, I'm always having none of it, absolutely none of it. Wanted me to do another year at school, which I wasn't happy with. Um, but there was an opportunity for me potentially to go to, to Leeds and they had like a down at Thorpe Arts, their, their training and they do like a year where so it's like you stay for two years, you actually stay in their training as a YTS guy and, um, and you get to do education as well. So my mum was like, well, if that happens, you know, that's a great opportunity and you get your education. So, you know, that'd be good. Um, um, and then we eventually got to the point where the family wanted to sign me. Um, I was going down for my kind of final trial at Leeds. It's how it kind of worked for about two, two, three years. I used to travel down, do a week down there, and then um, and they'd come up and we'd play friendlies up here. So we'd go and play for Leeds, but you know we'd just go down every now and then. And then it kind of got down to like the final kind of visit down there where I went down for a week. And uh, I remember uh, Bert Payton, who was a manager at Lundfermline, had came to my house with um, Dave McParland and was like, you know, we want you to sign. Um, and my dad was like, okay, yeah, that's, you know, great news and that type of thing. But Leeds wanted me to go down for this final trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Mo Hutton, who's a kit man at Dunfermline, he kind of said to my dad, you need to go. Like, you need to go. Don't tell them. Um, and Mo had actually asked Dave McFarlane, look, this is a great opportunity for him. Would you mind if he went? And Dave, and Dave in fairness to him, I love Dave McFarlane. Like, great guy, like proper strict, but brilliant values and great coach. Uh, and he was like, well, if he goes, he doesn't sign for us. And Mo Hutton phoned my dad, they went to school together and just said, look, I'll not say anything, get on the train and go, because he'll never, he'll never, <laughs> like, he'll, he'll just regret it if he doesn't uh, go. So I ended up going down and at the end of the trial, I actually played pretty well, but at the end of the trial, they just said to me that ultimately I was, I was quite small at the time. I was only about five, seven, five, eight. Uh, and they were like, you know, just not any better than what they had. So I came up the road and uh, and thankfully Dunfermline didn't find out and yeah, I signed and started my two-year apprenticeship from there. So that was, uh, yeah, Dunfermline were my kind of hometown club really. Um, but I have to admit that I was 
at Tanadice quite a lot watching Morris. So uh, okay. only because I got only because I get comps. Uh, so I go up there with my dad and sit and watch uh, and watch Dundee United, and he had a good side at that time. So uh, so a bit of Dunfermline, a bit of Dundee United, and then uh, yeah, ultimately ended up signing with Dunfermline. See, but before like doing the these chats, I had no idea that players would train with all these different clubs. I just thought you were with a club, and then that was you. I, I genuinely had no idea that that, that was how yeah. things worked. It's uh, like crazy. Yeah, and so it, it was just the way it was done. You know, a scout would come up to your dad and be like, you know, would he come to this? And I remember going to Rangers and it being an absolute shambles. It was, I remember me and my dad drove through and there was like 60 boys to play on, like a third of a pitch. There was like 20 guys and a third of a pitch to play in this. And I think I got 40 minutes of game time or something like that. And I remember saying to my dad after it, that I hated that. That was like, you know, it was rubbish. Um, and you know, never really went back, uh, and things just didn't like it. Similarly with Hibs, I didn't just didn't enjoy it, um, you know. And uh, but I really liked the, the Fairman training, and you know, I had Hamish French as a coach from a young age, and Dave McParland, and these guys were were just brilliant, absolutely great with us, and just made us enjoy actually getting better, and you know, and learning learning skills and the basics. Um, so yeah, but I've got as I say, I've got new respect. I've got to take my girls to dance classes and everything like that now. And I think, how did my mum and dad do this for like seven seven days out of seven? So yeah, you've got to look forward to Lee. Yeah, I've got a three year old. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, she's kind of taking a, a slight interest in football. My wife likes football, so I'm, I'm right. Hopeful, fingers there. crossed. <laughs> Aye, but the football one doesn't st- stick for me. So lately, I've been trying to push the golf. Um, so you know, I'm trying to do that. So yeah, but not having. It. I've got a th- uh, three a wee girl, three year old, and a, a, another wee girl at five. So yeah, it's uh, it's busy. Yeah, I can't. Imagine. I hope it's. I hope it's not dance classes. I really hope it's not. I hope. It, I hope it's ballet <laughs> for you, Lee. You deserve. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. thanks, mate. <laughs> Get you more flexible. <laughs> I, I said about that the better. <laughs> yeah, dad. Dad participation. Yeah. Oh Christ. Did you have like a footballing hero then when you were growing up? I mean, if, if you were going to watch Morris, I, I guess, did you look at him as like an inspiration, a kind of idol, or was it just like, oh, that's my uncle playing on the pitch? Um, to be honest, I bet when I was younger, it was probably just more, you know, he's my uncle. Um, but I think then when I started to realise, you know, when he went to Italia 90, um, and you know, and things like that. And when I watched that on the TV and the crowds, and you know that whole thing, and I just sat there like watching on the TV, thinking, "Whoa, that's like different level." And mm. I remember he gave me a pair of boots that he that he tried like several boots before he went out there, um, and then he had some that were spare that he didn't like, and he gave them to me. And I swear they were two sizes too big for me, and I wore them for about the next three years because I was just like I'm wearing them like they had to be Italian flag on them and everything. But I think I probably, as I started to understand the game more, like got a little bit older, I started to appreciate kind of how good a player Morris was as well. So, um, and he had there was guys in the Dundee United team, you know, like Paul Sturrock and things who were just tremendous to watch. Um, so I think probably those guys when I was younger and then started to, you know, obviously I really like you know Gaza and Zidane, particularly Gaza when he played in Italy and that. That's everything I was right about the time for kind of Gazetta Football Italia and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I like the kind of intelligent players and you know, and watching them. So, yeah, various different kind of people, but I would probably have to say, like, from a football sense, Morris, once I kind of clicked about the game and how well he read it and that type of thing. So, growing up in Fife, you've got it's a, it's a weird place to grow up if you want to pick a football team if you don't have a family connection. Because, like, Lee and me, we've obviously gone towards East Fife and there was. 
my my mum and dad were Rangers fans. My my mum's from Glasgow, and my dad's just uh, one of those people that annoy me from Fife that supports Rangers. But so I mean, I it, it's tough because when I was a kid, like Dundee United were the big team because they were doing so well and they were in Europe and I remember watching all that in the 80s so I could have gone there or I could have gone to Hebs and Hearts but because we didn't have a car bus was easy so ended up going to East Fife if you had to kind of pick down a team that you really supported I know you went to United I know you went to Dunfermline like which team East Fife aside kind of has the, the place in your heart I would say, I would say Dunfermline um, I would say that, you know, it is my local team. I was born in Dunfermline and, and my family lived in, or lived in Dalgate Bay for like most of my life, uh, which was handy when East Fife trained there uh, and things. So, yeah, as I say, lived there and, you know, but my mum my and like my mum's side of the family, even though Morris played for uh, for Dundee United, they were all Dunfermline fans. Um, and so went to went, you know and went to the games and my mum used to, she really, you know, likes football and she, she used to go to a lot of Dunfermline games as well when she was younger. Uh, and so did Morris as well. Uh, my dad, like similar to your dad, he you know had a season ticket at, at Ibrox for a while and went through there. But then he started to go watch Dundee United. As you say, they were a, a good side uh, as well at that time. So, uh, and my dad's one of these guys that you know it doesn't matter if it's just a local park or whatever. You know, anything for a game of football, he'll go and you know and watch it. So, uh, but I would say for me, Dunfermline was my team, particularly because I had that connection from a very young age. Um, you know, from eight all the way to I think I was, you know, I was about twenty when I left Dunfermline. So you know, it's a long time. You know, as well as when you're becoming, you know, a young man all, mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I think you know throughout that whole time, and you know, getting the bus like up to training and stuff like that every day was yeah. And then let, you know, eventually pass my test and then driving in every day and picking some of the guys up who lived in the digs and and Inverkeithen and things and just there was a whole kind of. Um, social element to it as well you know became really good pals with a lot of players there and some that I'm still in touch with so yeah I'd say there So I mean you, you actually um, jumped ahead with one of my questions about Leeds oh, so, Sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine I'll do that right I just shut me up I'll just keep talking like, it's, yeah. I'll, just, I'll, I'll just give you you know <laughs> Give one. me that yeah <laughs> um, So obviously you went down to Leeds and um, had some trials there any of the names that were alongside you there that you, you thought, right, okay, they're going to go on and have a good career, then went to have a good career? The, the, uh, I mean, it was, I have to say, like, Leeds were, you know, they were vying with Man United for the Premiership title. So, I mean, you know, they had the, the you know, the, the first team players, the Harry Kules and co. But when I was down for one of the weeks, we played a couple of games, but we, we obviously trained as well. Um, uh, and I remember that Ian Hart was coming back from like a kind of injury and he came and took and trained a session with us as well. And I was just like standing there like, i just seen him on the telly like two weeks ago, you know, and he's just like standing beside me and I'm, what, 15, 16, you know, built like the side of a fiver. And there's like Ian Hart standing there, you know, and just, uh, and I, little things like that. But um, you kind of seen one or two of them kicking about, but um, as I say, I was quite young, and even like getting to meet guys like Eddie Gray and and, and things, you know, just like legends of the game, really. So, uh, but it was a good experience. Good experience. I mean, that's it's like sort of pipe dream if you're something somebody with no football ability like me. You know, you're you're going down to Leeds and you could walk past Alan Smith in the corner, Harry Cole in the corner, Aye. play against Ian Hart, who's like one of the best free kick takers of all time. You know what I mean? Aye, yeah. 
I remember seeing like Ruduka and things like that, and just thinking, well, like he was just an absolute unit. Um, guys yeah. like that, and you know Harry Kuehl, quite you know quite uh, quite thin and uh, things. It was just you know, but they're all taller than what you kind of you know they, they think they are. So um, you know, and I got pelters from it from my club side and everything for going down because they're like, oh, that's you. You think you're the next Billy Bremner and all this kind of stuff. So I used to get dogs abuse for, oh, is that you sodden off the leads again? Is it and that type of thing? But uh, all, all good banter. Um, yeah, unfortunately, never kind of worked out, but brilliant experience nonetheless. So you started off at Dunfermline, then went to Brecon, but there was only, I think, two appearances for yeah. Brecon before you reached your pinnacle and, and signed for the Fife. That was it, yeah. Um, yeah. So you were out, for the ga- um, out of the game for two months, and you said to, in an interview with AFDN's very own Michael McCall back in the day that you became pretty <laughs> disillusioned um, with the game. So how did that move to East Fife come about? Um, so yeah, I was pretty disillusioned. I mean, so before I left on Fairland, I was you know about three weeks before I got released, I was on the bench for the first team. No, no indication that anything was coming, and then just pulled into the office and told you know you've not got a future here. Now later on, you find out that it's probably because it was a start of maybe some financial issues and that type of thing, and they were having to you know cut cloth accordingly. We find no issue with that at all, and. You know, and Jimmy Calderwood told me that. And I remember uh, John Ritchie and uh, Jimmy Nichol pulled me into their office and said, look, you know, I didn't, um, basically, you know, Dick Campbell's interested in you at Brecon. Um, I thought, right, okay. Um, and J- John Ritchie, who was like kind of my youth coach guy, a lot of respect for that. And Jimmy Nichol, easily the best coach I've worked with. Um, he he kind of said, you know, um, this I think this would be a good move for you. Go play, go show that we've got we've made the wrong decision, and, and you know, and breaking it at a good level, and they're trying to win the league. So I was like, yeah, okay, quite energized by it, you know, kind of okay, right. So I basically finished up my contract. Um, got away from there, went to sign for breaking, went up to watch a game on a Saturday. Thought, right, okay, yeah, I can handle this. Signed, played in the reserves on a Tuesday. I played really, really well. Um, and then I was like, okay, and they were they were doing well at the time, and uh, and Dick Campbell said to me like, you know, I, I want to play it probably centre half or right back, probably centre half, and he said I'm just waiting for you've got Jamie Smith and Harry uh, Harry Kearney, and Harry Kearney was nearly forty, and Jamie Smith, I think Dick Campbell was convinced he was going to sell him as well, and good players, and they probably had the best defensive record in the league, and for three months, man, I just sat there on the bench waiting for one of these guys to get injured. And it just never happened. And they were keeping clean sheet after clean sheet. And I was just like, and they went on to win the league. And eventually, I remember Dick Campbell put me on one game at right wing. And now, in fairness, I've never been a right winger. Uh, and, and you know, just that was one of my two appearances. And I just sat there. And after about two two months, I was just absolutely scunnered. And I went to Dick and just said, look, I need, to, I, need, I need to get out. I need to go play. I can't do this anymore. And he was like, look, okay, if you feel that strongly about it, I'll let you go. Uh, and I was absolutely scunnered by it, uh, and I had a couple of opportunities to go kind of either to Australia or America, and I, I was considering that just wow. to you know totally change my life. And and my mum and dad were like, you know, do what you want to do. And uh, I was considering it. And Montrose asked me to go for a trial, and I went up and I, I played in a game for Montrose. To this day, it's probably one of the best games I've ever played. I played at centre half, played really well. Um, and then John Sheeran said to me, "I want to see you again in another game," and I'm like, right, okay. And I was a wee bit, and then I got a phone call for Jim Muffet, and it turned out that my old school teacher, um, a guy called Hamish uh, Ferguson, he's passed away sadly now. He was our school football teacher at Mercedes, um, and we had like there were some good players that came through there, like you know uh, Craig Levine and Gordon Jury, and people that came through that school. So he'd been their coach, 
and he had a good relationship with Jim Moffat being a teacher as well. And he kind of uh, messaged Jim and said, look, Greg's on trial at the moment in Montrose, but available. Uh, and Jim, I think, knew me from being at Dunfermline and he just phoned me and said, look, do you want to come in? Um, he said, come to the game on the Saturday and then play in the game for us on the Tuesday. So I basically did that. And at the end of the game on the Tuesday, he said, yeah, I want to sign you till the end of the season. Um, and then when Throws got back in touch and they were like, oh, you know, you come back to us. And I'm like, no, no, I'm like, oh, I'm going to East Fife. And I, I really enjoyed it, the first game. I knew a few people, uh, Craig Lumsden, uh, Andy Rollo uh, as well. So Andy Rollo grew up in this, uh, like just around the corner for me. So we used to play football after school, that type of thing. So there, there was that kind of way where I knew a few guys as well and, you know, a bit closer to home and just got a better feel for East Fife. And that's why, I thought, okay, sign a short-term deal to the end of the promotion winning season. Um, and then at the end of that season, Jim was like, you know, I'd like you to come come back for next year uh, in League One. And, uh, you know, I was I was on absolute buttons. But at the same time, I was like, well, the kind of my head was all over the place. And my dad was just like, you know, if you're going to go to Australia or America, go. But if not, then, you know, just find somewhere to play and just get playing. You know, the money doesn't matter. Um, and, and that was kind of where I took it from there. And uh, so I started playing, started playing East Fife and then got myself a job as well. Um, and kind of, I just never really looked back because I, I really enjoyed it. I actually felt happy again, you know, from kind of the disappointment of leaving Dunfermline and sitting on a bench at breaking. So uh, I was listening to Dev's podcast and, you know, it's remarkable how kind of similar our, our kind of journeys were, to be honest. So yeah. I didn't realise that. Yeah. So you had the choice in Minnesota, Melbourne, or Methyl, and you picked Methyl. I did, I did. Yeah, <laughs> the power station, the power station swung it for me at the time, mate. That's what it was. So, yeah, uh, no, but it was, yeah, it was really good. I just enjoyed that that first season as well. You know, all right, we got, you know, we got relegated, but um, you know, I personally had quite a good season uh, as well, playing in kind of centre midfield, and you know, my job was pretty. I had to win headers and tackles in the middle of the park, and then whenever it went wide to Herx or Gordon Gilbert, my job was to get my backside in the box and try and help Dukes um, and you know we, we did alright we got a few goals I think I got 12 that season for midfield and Dukes got a few uh, and you know we we actually gave a good account of ourselves to start with and then it just kind of faded away a little bit over the course of the season but um, nevertheless it was yeah, it was my first kind of real taste of playing every Saturday you know where it matters and uh, I absolutely loved it Paul McManus gave us a stat that I still couldn't believe that he's the only player to have two league medals um, playing for us, and I was thinking, oh, maybe you got one, but then I just remembered that. No, I didn't. I didn't play enough games. No, I don't. I don't. I think I'd only had a few appearances. There wasn't that long left in the season, to be fair. I yeah. think by the time I'd, I'd kind of signed, so um, no, I didn't make it. So I think, yeah, I think uh, Shagger's got his own uh, his own start there. So and that's why well, you should get a statue. So, yeah, I, I did say that you should get a statue. I did say you should get a statue, but it's funny. I, I text Paul today, and I went right. Greg McDonald on the store uh, on the show the night. Give me a story and he went, have none, consummate professional. Oh, that's, that's good. Uh, I don't know if that's his way of saying I'm boring, mate. So, nah, <laughs> I, to be honest, it was, you know, the dressing room we had, it was just, it was just such a good laugh. I was, I was actually, I was chatting about this because when I knew it was coming on, I was saying that to my, like, to my missus, you know, just when I think back about, there's not maybe individual memories. Maybe I just remember laughing a lot, you know, and all right, when we got down to training and games, it was like, you know, it was full on and the standard was really high and everybody wanted to win and it was quite kind of, you know, um, you know, we, we, trained how we played 
Um, I think it's probably the fairest way to do it. And at times we were a gang off the park, just having a laugh. But it was it was fun, you know. And uh, and I think you know things that went certainly in the two thousand what was the league winning side. You know, I think Dave Baker recognised that that we did the work and we could do the job on the Saturday. So he gave us a bit of leeway as well. Uh, and it was just such a uh, such a good dressing room. I, so, I just love Div's description of it as a dressing room full of psychopaths. And I thought that doesn't that's not you because it's like you always came across. Like I'm not saying boring at all because I'd be like you. It's like you, you can't have you can't have everyone being like that because it's just yeah. it's too much. It's just diff- different, you know, kind of personalities and that type of thing. But I think we all came together really well. And I think you know, it was, I, I know what when I listened to the Shaggers interview and I knew, and Divs and I knew what they meant as well by that that there was it would boil over in training because we played right at the edge and it would boil over regularly between different people. But there was always that kind of element of you know, you were this close to either fighting or just absolutely killing yourself laughing because it was just such a good laugh. And we kind of walked that tightrope all the time. Um, you know, Dude and Bibby were, were you know, they, they argued like a married couple on the pitch after training in the dressing room. They, then they get a shower and then they get, like, they get in the car and basically go back to Cowden Beath and have a pint together. But like <laughs> the, on the pitch, just knocking each other the whole time. You know, Jay and uh, Lloydie were, you know, were the, were the same. And, you know, it was just that type of, uh, type of atmosphere we all just wanted to win demanding the best of each other and you know it was a few times it boiled over but I think you kind of you need that you don't get that now you, you know I've been yeah. in obviously dressing rooms and later on in my career and there's not really that many of those guys around that just demand that kind of standard and uh, and we had a whole kind of squad of them so it was combustible at times I would say <laughs> It's good to hear that I mean and literally all the players that we've had on from that era have all said you know been the best dressing that we've been involved in and I think that as a fan you know, it was it was clear to see that, um, and and the the play the player of the year dance that we had the night we won the league it will live in my memory forever as being just mental, yeah, <laughs> absolutely mental. So we'll bring you back to the sort of mod, the, your your first spell with the club. Jim Moffat brought you in. Um, what yeah. can you tell us a bit about what it was like to play under Jim? You know, I, I had a lot of time for Jim. Like, his, I have to say his achievement of getting East Five promoted, considering the size of budget and things like that that he had, uh, was I don't think that gets enough credit. I have to say, like that, and that team was built of people like you know various different ages, few quite experienced guys like Rusty and, uh, and Mikey Hall. Um, and then there was a few kids around the outside. Obviously, Duke's got a lot of headlines because he was banging in the goals, but there were some good, hard-working players there. But I think that when I look at that side compared to like the side that won the league that I was in later on, it, it didn't have the ability. But I think what Jim Jim's way of doing it was he wanted us to be really, really organised and everybody had a specific job. And Jim was very, very like kind of, you do your job, you play, and if you do that job, you'll play every week. If you don't do the job, you don't play. And it was very, very uh, specific. Um, I kind of fell foul of it a couple of times, but um, and then when you got to Dave Baker, like Baker was more like he knew he knew he had a good dressing room of good players, so he was more like, okay, this is way, the way I want you to play. But when you get out there, go express yourself and just go play. And he kind of trusted us to go and do that. So it was ten of different styles, but uh, I understand, you know, why Jim had to do that because we weren't as technically gifted, I don't think, as the the 2008 team. So we had to just rely on our organisation and. Uh, and, and to be fair we were you know I think we were competitive even though when we got relegated it wasn't until the very end of the season and you know arguably a couple of more goals scored or, or you know we, we, we would have been alright as well so um, but that, no I really that first, uh, half, uh, that, that, that first half of that season 
I seem to remember us being top of the league. Aye. For like the first half. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of felt like watching it, that teams then figured out how we played. And there was a bit, and this is no disrespect to you or any of the players or even Jim Moffat, I think we had a plan A, but maybe not so much a plan B. Is that right? That worked for us last season and then we didn't really learn from that. I think that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, we did have a way of playing. I think I described it as well. You know, we got the ball either wide or up into Dukes and the rest of us tried to get there as quickly as we could and support. And do you know what? Probably suited me as well. Um, But we did have a few injuries and we had to change around. I ended up spending half that season playing at the back as well. Um, I think we were I think we were second after uh, after the first quarter and then we ended up getting relegated um, and it's just how tight that league was I mean but we did you know Morton I think were canter in that league obviously they blew up at the end but you know I remember us going on the I think it was the second game of the season or third game of the season we went to Capolo and uh, Ewan Donaldson scored a deflected goal and we defended for about 89 minutes after it. I was playing centre mid and like just spent the whole game running like side to side across the 18-yard box. We got battered, but we had enough about us that we got a draw. And um, you know, and uh, there was some good sides uh, in, in that division as well, and some good players. So um, probably a little bit unlucky, but yeah, I think you were probably right. We didn't have a plan B, and uh, you know, compared to the 2008 team. They, you know, we were we were happy to have a game of football with somebody, but if it turned into a fight, then we could do that too. Um, and we also had the outball of you know Shagger over the top to go long, or you know, and, and different things. We had guys like Dude who could put a free kick in the top corner, or Bobby Lynn who could skin five people and put one in on a day we weren't playing great. So um, I think we had, I think we had you know a bit more about us in terms of Plan B and probably a Plan C as well. And, and ultimately, we kind of you know we, we we used that quite effectively. So. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, six, six seasons as a club, I, I was working out that you scored a goal every five games, um, right. and particularly at your second half, uh, your sort of career at Baby, he's pretty much spent it at the back. That's quite <coughs> an impressive goal-scoring yeah. record from defence. So, is there any goals, I mean, you remember vividly, I mean, my, my memory of Greg McDonald goals, the, the one against East Stirling when we were winning the league. <laughs> yeah. But, have you got any that, you, that stick out for you? Um... I scored one away at Stenny on it was a I'm sure it was a Boxing Day. It was either Boxing Day or New Year's Day. I think it was a Boxing Day and we got beat two one and we didn't lose too many games that season. So I think this would have been what end of two thousand and seven. And uh, long ball kinda of, I was playing centre mid, long ball played up to Craig O'Reilly and Craig O'Reilly kinda of headed it back. And as he as it hit the ground, I ran onto it and hit it on the half volley, and it kind of soared away into the far top corner. To this day, by far the best goal I've ever scored. I don't even think I've got close to getting one like that in training. Um, and but you know there was no cameras or anything like that, and you know it's one of them. So you have to take my word for it. But it was it was I uh, I think I remember dude kind of saying to me like I can't even believe you hit that like, like you know and kind of you know shocked that it went in. But I would say that was that was a decent one. Uh, I got a hat trick against Huntley, um, not the most glamorous of games, but it was the replay in the cup. Yeah. Um, and we were two 0 down, and I think I scored two. I got yeah, I got a, I had a header saved, tapped it in, and then I got a header that looped into the corner in about the 89th minute, and then we went ended up going to penalties, um, and then I scored the penalty, um, like to get, I thought it was a legitimate hat trick, but apparently it was not, so I didn't get the match ball, which I'm still spewing about, but oh, really? um, yeah, my only hat trick, yeah, didn't get given it, so wow, 
Yeah. Liam Anderson, you'll be listening. Write that wrong. Like a, a <laughs> I, was, I, I don't know who I don't know who was responsible. I think I don't know, but uh, yeah, wasn't happy about that. So, uh, but probably that I think that that just sticks in my mind. That one being like my kind of only uh, professional hat trick. Uh, I'm still claiming it, and the one at Steny, um, just you know, it was one of those ones that you've probably got no right to hit, but you know, just went for it, and thankfully it flew into the corner. So. I was I just mean, looking up on, on YouTube because I knew I'd filmed a couple of your goals um, right. back in the if day. If you've got that one, I'd be done. No, I've got you scoring against Berwick in January oh. that looks like it was filmed in a potato. Uh, and then oh, I, I remember that, yeah. I yeah. go against come Queen's off the Park. Post. Yeah, go against Queen's Park in the playoffs in 2007. But that's the only two that I managed to capture. That header at Furhill. I don't Aye. know if it's a header. Aye, it is. And then I think it got credited to Johnny Smart as well, and he took it. Oh. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> but that. <laughs> I'm just playing um, it just now. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I rise and lovely header at the back post and at the bottom corner. So, uh, yeah, that was that was all right. No, I, I mean, I started as a striker, um, and you know, and so I always liked to kind of you know shooting and finding the net and that type of thing. But um, you know, it was, and we, I think in the 2007-8 team we got a lot of corners and things like that as well. And we got a lot of. I mean, me and Dougie liked to push forward from fullback positions, and I think the way Dave Bakey had set up the team, me and Dougie were allowed to go, provided we also got back when it was time to do the, you know the defending stuff. So I think that kind of license to go. And then the amount of set pieces we had, you know, kind of lent itself to getting a few goals. And I say in my earlier kind of career at East Fife, I was playing just off Dukes, really, and trying to trying to feed off the scraps off him, really, and just try to help him and get in the box. So, um, you know, I've probably been quite fortunate that way in the teams that i played in. So, I mean, I know that you listened to, to Div's episodes and he obviously shouted out hello to you. So, um, yeah, hi. Yeah, it was good to hear from He's a... Uh, a proper East Fife legend, that guy. But he's, his exact quote for you, Greg, was you were the, uh, Greg McDonald was the player to emulate Mr. East Fife. Um, how does that make you feel hearing that from a, a sort of fellow professional? Honestly, kind of weird. Like, I never, I never thought of that at all. Just, you know, I, would, I just really enjoyed coming into East Fife. It was, as I say, it was like it was somewhere where I just felt at home very, very quickly. Um, and then, as I say, you know, with your teammates and things, you're then, you're, you know, you're coming to work with your mates and you're getting to go for a game of football on the Saturday, you know, and obviously I, I was playing, I did, like, I think the supporters were, were were always quite behind me, so I didn't really get that much abuse that way and, you know, or anything like that. And it was just, you know, I always felt, you know, quite, kind of comfortable and I just enjoyed it. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know, it's a strange one for me. Like, I learned from a lot of, kind of, when I was thinking about this before I came on as well, um, you know, a lot of professionals like that, like when I was younger, like like your own coils and people like that, just absolute like consummate professionals, just not, you know, don't shout their mouth off, just go about their business kind of quietly, but good players and, you know, and, and great guys and that type of thing. So I, I guess, you know, I always try to model myself on, on some of those guys, but, you know, I never really thought of it in any other way than just coming in and doing your job and enjoying it. So, um, you know, that was, that was it. So it's nice to hear. And Div was a, a cracking player, really good ability. Um, so, and I'm glad he went on to have the career he did at East Fife as well, because he was. I heard his interview, and he was right. He was he was choking to get in the team, and he was like one of the best players in training. But we were just turning out wins every week, um, yeah. and you know, and and I think that was just you know one of those. And it was a bit like me when I think when I look back now at Breakin. And you know, couldn't get in just because the team was being, and that's just 
that's just the nature of team sports, really, I think. And, um, but credit to him, he didn't let it kind of get to him or anything as well. And then, as I say, he went on to be the captain and have a good career and, and do some do some impressive things uh, for his five. So, no, fair play to him. I know when you first came to us, you, you harboured... Because like, I dug out the, the old interview I did with you possibly about 15 years ago now. And you'd mentioned in it that you still harboured hopes of getting back into full-time football. When you came to Bayview, did you think, I'll just be here briefly and then I'll move on? Or, or did you think, I might be here for a while? Um, I think, being honest, I probably thought to myself, this is a short window for me. I can go, it's at a good level, I can show that I'm a good player and hopefully I'll get a move. But if, I would say every player who leaves full-time thinks that. Mm. Um and reality is, you know, you know, just round the corner. I think for a lot of people on that, and probably that's the type of thing that kind of helped me when uh, when I went into management as well. Kind of been through that journey, um, but I probably did think that, and I was playing pretty well. And I think just as Dave, I think just as Dave Bakey came in, I missed Dave Bakey's first game because my sister was getting married. So there's a whole theme there about missing games for weddings, right? But we just moved past that. Um, and and then the second game we were away at Berwick. And I was playing sitting midfield, and I've been, as I say, I've been playing well, like you know, and I, I did pretty well that season in terms of like kind of like play the year awards and that type of thing. And there was a few like I'd been close to moving before, or there had been other teams interested, but I was kind of happy where I was because I felt like you know there wasn't anybody that I felt would be a better kind of shot window for me. Um, and then I got my leg broken uh, at Berwick, um, and at that point. Like I was, you know, Gretna were interested, and actually the the scout that took me to Leeds, he he was wanting to take me down. Uh, I think it was York, and maybe, I can't remember somebody else as well. So I was kind of like almost harboring that in the back of my head, right. but the minute I broke my leg, all that disappeared. So you know, it was it was one of those, and 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 actually that was probably the reality moment for me where I was like, hang on a minute, you know, I'm twenty twenty two years old, twenty three. I've now got myself a good job. And, you know, this is going to take me at least a year to come back from. So, you know, um, and that was probably the, the moment reality kind of really bit for me and I understood it. So, yeah, I mean, just to go back to that that day that we, we clinched promotion, I know that you you only made, I think, one appearance that, that season, which was the penultimate game to that game. But you're on the bench a lot during the running. I, I just remember as a fan in the stands, I took my, my camcorder along to that. I think I told this in a, another episode. And I was filming the game. And I've got most of the game on video, but I switched it off just before the goal because I didn't think we were going to do it. And I didn't want to be filming the disappointment. It was just going to be too much. What was it like as a player, though, sitting, watching that and thinking, that's it, we've, we've balls this up, we're not, we're not going up? Yeah, it was it was really weird really for me because I was only fairly you know I hadn't been at the club that long as well so it's one of those where you've been on the bench and that type of thing so you're involved but you know wasn't as invested in it as obviously some of the other guys were and you know in, in fairness I think the team if I remember rightly was it Craig Farnan and Ross Graham that were in the middle of the park uh, and Herks maybe wide right and Jukes up front um, and you know these guys had played every week and they were and they were doing really well. So, you know, there, there wasn't like any, it wasn't like, oh, I think I should be playing. I was just kind of happy to be involved and and actually we were striving for something and just waiting for the chance that ultimately never came. And I remember sitting in the stand that day and it was like, it was just gone. Like, you know, and I hadn't even been there that long, just thinking, right, it's gone. Like, you know, and, and we were just all kind of just sitting there. And then when the ball went into the box and I still, when I think back now, I still don't even really understand how it went in the net. It didn't even look like a clear-cut kind of yeah. chance. 
and then the place just went absolutely ballistic. Um, and yeah, just an incredible kind of feeling to snatch, well, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, I guess would be the, um, and it was just, yeah, cracking. I remember being in the dressing room after it and just, yeah, brilliant atmosphere. And uh, you could see what they put into it, you know, the, what, all the effort they put into it. And actually it's quite draining sometimes at the end of the season where you kind of sit yeah. down and you're like, you actually exhale and kind of take a wee minute to be like, right, we've done it. Um, and that's happened to us, thankfully, a couple of times since. And it's just that kind of moment where you're like, okay, yeah, we've actually achieved something here. Um, but I was delighted for guys like, you know, like Big Duker, like, if, you know, uh, he'd had a great season and ultimately went on to have a brilliant career as well. Yeah, we're hopefully going to get him on, on our show soon as well. Obviously, he's super busy just now with everything that's going on. But Yeah, I was going to say, he might be busy. Yeah, it's good though to hear you saying that you, you can sometimes like, take a step back and appreciate what you do because I, I do sometimes feel that football's so fast moving that even the fans as well, we don't maybe fully appreciate what's happened during a particular season or whatever, good and bad. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think, you know, perspective kind of sometimes comes with age as well, doesn't it? And, you know, uh, kind of, um, I remember people saying to me when I was younger as well that there's guys that play their whole career and don't win anything, yeah. you know, and don't even get close to winning anything, but they have really good careers. Um, and, you know, I, and, and so I kind of thought about that. Uh, and I remember, like, obviously I was, a briefly part of a breaking side that won a division and I didn't get a medal. I was briefly part of an East Five side that you know got promoted and I didn't you know I didn't really contribute there. Um, and I was on the cusp. I was on the edge of like a Dunfermline team and I didn't really play. That went on to have like a really successful season for Dunfermline. You know, finishing third in the SPL. So I kind of felt like I'd been on the periphery of a lot of that stuff and, and that success. So, you know, by the time 2007, 2008 came, mm. I'd obviously, well, in fact, even, sorry, 2000, what it means, what, six, seven, where we got beat in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of came back from a leg break, you know, wasn't, was nowhere near fit, um, but kind of got thrown in because of, you know, the injury crisis and we ended up getting to the playoff final. Um, and to be fair, we got royally spanked by Queen's Park, I think, yeah. um, and, and deservedly so. They were a terrific side. Um, and then that was, I found that really hard. That was gutting. But at the same time, when everything kind of changed at that point and, you know, and then the, the kind of changes at the club and we've seen the players we were kind of bringing in, it almost gave you that extra kind of drive to say, hang on a minute, this, all right, we'll make it this year, we'll do it this time. You know, and there was a few of us who are, you know, that were still around from, from the defeat to Queen's Park. Then we added in a bit more quality. And I think we all kind of felt it. We were like, hang on, we like, you know, you don't get many chances to go win something here. And I think that as much as, yeah, I mentioned earlier, we were probably, you know, like a, we liked a laugh and a joke and that type of thing. I think we all had that single thing and that we just wanted to win. Um, you know, and we probably all got similar individual stories to that in some way, uh, like, you know, in some shape or form. But that was certainly mine. And that's why I was kind of really motivated for that year. Where's your winner's medal then? Do you have it? Has it got pride of place? Um, it's actually my mum and dad's. So they've got all my all my like kind of football. I say all my football medals, but three of them. Um, so <laughs> they've got they've got them. That, uh, so I uh, at their house. So every time I go through, my dad's like, you know, when I take any of these and stop cluttering up my house. But uh, yeah, they've got them at, at their house and keep them there. So nice. That is a treasured one, I have to say. So yeah, uh, absolutely that. And obviously the um, the promotion with, with Sterling as a manager. But I think that that one takes pride of place from a player. Yeah, well, we'll be coming to that later sorry uh, about that yeah <laughs> I mean Lee you're the it's same it's like a dagger to the heart every day <laughs> I know I know but... you're the same though Lee because like your mum and dad they've got all your participation medals at their house 
Yeah, at least you tried, Fatty. Uh, pretty much every, every one of those banners sitting in the house. <laughs> yeah. You, you played with a, a lot of players during your time at East Five because it's different now. We've got stability, and you've seen that with Darren Young. He's signed up so much of the squad. Back when you were like there, it was like a complete turnaround, it felt, every season. Well, I mean, first of all, before I ask, I was going to ask you like who the best player is you played with at East Fife, and obviously we'll come to your best 11s later on, but what's it like as a player that's there a while, and every season you've just got so many different teammates coming in? Uh, it's, it's, it's a wee bit weird, you know, that kind of whole moment where you're like, the guy walks in and you've got no idea who he is, and he doesn't have any idea who you are. Sometimes you know who they are from playing against them. You know, when you can have a wee conversation and, and things. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, after the first week when you've had a training session together or you maybe travel together or things like that, it, it, it then goes away very quickly. But it's almost like that, you, you know, that um, some of the, the guys come in, you don't know them. If you don't travel with them, it takes you a bit of time to kind of, you know, to get used to them. But, I, I mean, I think most people, and it's very rare in, in kind of lower league football now that anybody signs any more than kind of one year, uh, any more than a year. So yeah. there is that kind of level of change uh, that comes around and you end up kind of meeting different players at different clubs, you know, that you've, uh, uh, as well. And, 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 you know, football is very, very kind of cliquey and it's, you know, quite a small, incestuous little world. So you kind of meet or you know players that know players. So, you know, you can very quickly end up having a conversation with somebody saying, oh, you played here and you, you know, did you, how did you get on with this guy? He's my mate. I played with him at Dunfermline or whatever. And so you end up kind of building that rapport. But again, ultimately, I think, you know, through just through time and, and the managers kind of get your buy-in and it depends, you know, you build up with your relationships with who you play well on the field as well. Um, so it's just something it's just part and parcel you know kind of of it and it's strange how you know some guys you can play with for a few months and they end up being your mate for the rest of your life and other guys you can play with for a few years but you maybe don't speak to them mm. you know like for a few years not through any other reason just uh, I guess that's just life in it but um, yeah it's, it's going to be a, a little bit strange yeah, right, over here, it's it's weird because in Vancouver, we've had a big turnaround of players season upon season. But we've got a lot of guys that come from South America, Central America, so they're all the Spanish speakers. And for many seasons, they've stuck together in a little group. So you go to training and then you just see all the English speakers and one bit talking and then you've got all the Spanish guys and one bit talking. And it, it doesn't feel like a team. And it, it's weird to see that. Yeah, I mean, we had that a little bit of Stirling because when I first went to Stirling, um, we had three guys that were over from France and one of them was playing every week and was a really, really tidy little player. Um, another one was kind of on the bench and coming on every now and then, big striker. And then there was a third one who just didn't get a look in at all and, to be honest, w wasn't the best. Um, and it was kind of awkward because, like, the, the one of them spoke a little bit of broken English. And so, you you know, when we were, like, you know, kind of how much French do you learn at high school, you know? So we're all trying to, like, you know, kind of say, like, wee bits to them and things. And, you know, you're trying to remember, like, you know, what's left and right in French and stuff like that as well. And, but actually, they integrated really well over time as well. And it actually became, like, you would almost have a little bit of kind of banter that you would you would end up kind of developing over time. So, um, yeah, it can, be, it can be a little strange. I think you always have certain kind of not cliques but you have certain guys that you kind of maybe spend more time with and that but at the same time you know um that 2007-8 team as I say everybody in there was just bought in and, and that, that kind of for me was almost the model that I've hoped or tried to kind of replicate as well you know when I was at when I was at Sterling to have that kind of like 
everybody pushing in the same direction, you know, whether you play five games or whether you play 30 um, and, and try and kind of knit them and gel them uh, quite well. Because I think a lot of the stuff you do off the field really helps in, in, in that respect. Uh, and yeah. we did a lot of off the field stuff. So one, one just last thing I want to say about like cliques and stuff. I just want to share this story because it probably won't interest too many folk. But in, in 2017, the Whitecaps season had ended. We had a terrible year. We'd sacked our, our coach. It might have been 2018. And the players had end-of-season media availability because it's different out here. There's a lot more media access to the players. And all these English-speaking guys came out and just ripped into the lack of team chemistry and basically basically saying it's because of all the, the little cliques of the Spanish guys that the dressing room imploded. And this was all getting aired in front of everyone. And we we're just sitting there like our jaws open. Like, I can't believe it's just one after another after another. And then you had a, one of the Spanish guys coming out who is, spoke English as well. And he's like, no, no, that's all nonsense. It's like, it's not like that at all. I mean, have you ever been in a locker room that has been really fractured? Yeah. I mean, we had that a little bit of Stirling because when I first went to Stirling, um, we had three guys that were over from France. And one of them was playing every week and was a really, really tidy little player. Um, another one was kind of on the bench and coming on every now and then, big striker. And then there was a third one who just didn't get a look in at all. And to be honest, w- wasn't the best. Um, and it was kind of awkward because like the, the one of them spoke a little bit of broken English. And so, you you know, when we were like, you know, kind of how much French do you learn at high school? You know, so we were all trying to like, you know, kind of say like wee bits to them and things. And, you know, you're trying to remember like, you know, what's left and right in French and stuff like that as well. And, but actually they integrated really well over time as well. And it actually became like you would almost have a little bit of kind of banter that you would you would end up kind of developing over time. So, um, yeah, it can be it can be a little strange. I think you always have certain kind of, not cliques, but you have certain guys that you kind of maybe spend more time with. And that, but at the same time, you know, um, that 2007-8 team, as I say, everybody in there was just bought in. And, and that, that kind of, for me, was almost the model that I've, hoped or tried to kind of replicate as well you know when I was at when I was at Stirling to have that kind of like everybody pushing in the same direction you know whether you play five games or whether you play 30 um, and and try and kind of knit them and gel them uh, quite well because I think a lot of the stuff you do off the field really helps in in, in that respect uh, and yeah. we did a lot of off the field stuff so yeah. Mike what's yours? I, I don't know. It's I I remember a player at Montrose because remember we took a megaphone to some games for a while. One of the players was threatening to to take the megaphone and shove it up my ass because every time they were going past, I was just yelling abuse at him and stuff through the megaphone. <laughs> the best one I ever heard is is I remember my dad taking me to Bayview. I'd only been young, and he went, "Look, son." What happens at the football stays at the football. You don't go home. You don't tell your mum. You don't say anything like that. I said, like, right, right, okay. So East Fife, it was under Rab Shannon at the time, more brutal. And uh, apologies again for the language, but this guy behind me went, you're worse than your pies, East Fife. And even your pies are shite. <laughs> <laughs> so I went home and invariably told my mum, I was like, uh, yeah, you should hear what this guy said. <laughs> I was like, he's not going back. But yeah, some of the, the, the shouts that we've heard at Baby over the years have been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, uh, it's great. And you do hear a lot, you know, particularly as you say with like, 
uh, in lower league football as well, where the guy's been so close as well with the pitch. And I, like as I say, I played fullbacks so and was taking throw-ins, so he got quite a lot of abuse that way. But uh, you just got to take it as a bit of banter. It's fun. So yeah. I, I miss it. When I was back in February, I, I saw his Fife game, and then we weren't playing the next week because Falkirk were in the cup. So I went down, I can't even mind where I went now, in the borders to watch Glenorthis Juniors playing in East of Scotland League. And it was superb. It's just the banter and the abuse and so many of the Glens fans were like drunk. And I miss all that because it's so sanitised here. And like just now MLS has just come back and they've decided not to go with, with pumped in crowd noise. So they're just going in with stuff from the pitch. And it's been brilliant because they've got a delay button, but they're not quick enough on it sometimes. So we're hearing lots of swearing from the players and I'm loving it. It's like just being back home. It's like superb. Yeah, I actually had a wee spell it um, after I left Annan. Like, you know, um, I, was, I, I decided I was going to retire. Uh, and two of my mates who had played with Annan, Peter Wellston and Ryan McStay, they took the, a job at Shettleston Juniors. They were the joint managers there. And they asked me if I would come in and take a, take a coaching session um, so they could train. Um, but I think it was part of their cunning plan. So basically, I came in, I ended up taking a session and getting involved in it, and then I ended up playing in a friendly, and then before I knew it, they were like, oh, do you just want to be the captain and play? And I played for like about three, four months at Shettleston. Right. Um And do you know what? I've never drank so much in my entire life. Like, just after every single game in the club, like or whatever it was, like and after it, you know, the Shettleston Minors Club, uh, and just drinking and stuff. But that, I would say that was an eye-opener as well. Like just, you know, the... Uh, Kind of the abuse and players on the pitch, just full scale, just scraps, you know, like zero discipline at times as well. And but uh, you know, as I say, I just thought it was brilliant, great banner. So what I loved in particular about the Glens game I went to was the tackles. Like anything went, and I I took some video, I I put it up on our Twitter account, and it's like the guys were just going through each other, and the guys would just get up and walk away. It's not like you see in the top leagues, everyone's rolling about or like faking injury. These guys were like, aye, fair enough, you got me. I'll get you back. Yeah, you used to be able to get like get away with quite a bit. When I first started, it was like, you almost got one as well. I remember playing at defence, you would kind of get one, like, and then you would get a warning or like, you know, and that type of thing. But then after that, you were, you know, you were in trouble and you were in the book. And But it's, it's out of the game now. And I suppose it's better for the flair players, that type of thing. I was never right. a flair player. So, yeah, you know, I, I, um, but I missed, it. I missed those days, the crunching 50-50s and that type of thing. But, well, you talked about being a, a captain at Shettleston. Let's talk about you being a captain at, at East Fife. I mean, where does that rank in your East Fife memories? Because there's not a lot of folk get to wear the, the armband over the years. Is that a proud moment for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think because I'd been there and, you know, when I first joined, you know, you're looking at, I think it was Gordon Russell, I think it was Rusty who was a captain, that type of thing, Mikey Hall and uh, and, and things. And then, you know, when, when Jim came to me and said, look, would you, you know, would you be the captain? I kind of, that was almost that moment of, well, you know, I, I must be doing something right on the pitch as well. And, you know, and maybe we earned a wee bit of respect uh, that way as well. But I just thought it was, I was kind of gave me an extra wee boost as well. Um, in some ways, it kind of makes you feel a little bit responsible as well, especially when you see when you're getting beat, kind of has that uh, in it as well. And so obviously we, we went through like a poor run and, and that type of thing as well during that. So it's that it can it can kind of weigh on you that way. But yeah, definitely an honour um, like to, to do it. And, you know, uh, especially just, you know, I think the uh, the relationship I had with the supporters and that type of thing as well, it kind of helped that. So, um, but we had a good dressing room. I think, you know, being a captain can be, you know, it can be a pain depending on what type of dressing room you've got. 
uh, as well. But I was kind of fortunate that the places that I did it were, you know, um, we had we had a really solid dressing room. I mean, even if you think about 2007-8, you know, I think Bibby was the captain at Brecon for a while. You know, you've got uh, Tweedy who's the captain at various teams, probably Jay was, I think, as well. Doogie's quite vocal. Um, you know, by the time you watch your way through the whole kind of team, Paul McManus never, never stops talking, you know, that type of thing. By the time you take all these guys in, we had a kind of fair array of people who, you know, would talk and uh, and that type of thing. So, um, you know, I think it's as easy as, you know, the kind of players you've got around you. If you've got a team of mutes, it's probably a little harder. But mm. uh, thankfully, I was I played in some teams that were, you know, could basically captain themselves and made my job pretty easy. Well, you did eventually move on from Bayview. I don't fully remember the circumstance around it because I was over here at the time. Was that your choice to move on or was it that you were released? And how, how did you feel leaving it after so long? So it was a bit, a bit of a weird one. I was gutted to leave, to be honest. Um, I wanted to stay. So it, I wanted to stay, but at the same time, what was on offer, I didn't think was 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 right. And so I'd hurt my knee, um, weirdly playing at Stirling Albion's pitch. I'd hurt my knee playing for these five. I'd, st- I'd clear the ball up the line. I stepped off the pitch onto the edge of the pitch and rocked my knee. Um, and it was it was sore, like basically came off, went and got a scan. They said that I've damaged my cartilage. Okay, didn't think that's not a big deal these days. You know, you're only talking like a few weeks. So basically went to get my cartilage cleaned out. Stevie Crawford had taken over now at, at this point for, for Dave Bakey. I think Dave Bakey had actually been sacked in the week in between or something. So Craw had come in. Um, and then I got the scan results. Uh, I, sorry, they, they did the operation. And when I woke up for the operation, the surgeon came and told me that, um, that the operation had went well. However, I nicked my cruciate when I was in. He said it wasn't fully away, but there was a small tear in it. Um, and I said, okay, so what do we do about that? He says, well, it never heals itself. So he said, there's two options. We either go in and surgically fix it now. But he said, I would recommend, he says, you've got kind of strong legs. He said, I would recommend that you kind of do a lot of work in the gym um, and you know, hopefully, you just a lot of people don't have cruciates, and you can play on, you know, without it. Um, and so I was like, okay. And so I went back and I told Craw, uh, and Stevie was a wee bit nervous about that kind of thinking. And I'd, before Dave Bakey had been sacked, we'd been talking about I think it was a two-year deal, which um, which would have taken me to I think about nine years in total by the time it was finished, or two and a half years, something like that. Um, and so they were they were looking at that, and then Craw was like. You know, it's going to be my first management job. Um, you know, I'm just a bit worried about your knee. So what I'll do is basically give you a contract for, you know, for a year. Um, and it was, you know, obviously, you know, not not as much money, that type of thing. But still, an Albion had been on at me for months. Uh, and Alan Moore was like, come to me. I'm going to try and win League One. And it was one of those where I just didn't feel like, you know, I think Crow was probably out of, you know, uh, I've known him since I was at Dunfermline. He was good pals with my cousin and that type of thing as well. You know, I've got a really good relationship with Stevie even even till now. So, um, and it was one of those where you know, um, I actually weirdly found myself in the same position as a manager uh, as this. Um, but one of them where he just had to kind of you know he made me an offer and I, and it just wasn't right for me. And at that point, I thought, well, look, if that's the case, I maybe better go somewhere where I know somebody wants me. So I went to Stirling Albion. Um, and I told Alan Moore before I signed, I said, look, this is the script of my knee. And Moore, was like, I don't care. Like, come sign. And, you know, and then I thought I did the whole of pre-season. And then uh, the last training session on the Thursday before the first game of the season on the Saturday, I went to chest the ball back to my goalie and my knee buckled and my cruciate went. 
Um, so I, I didn't actually step foot in. So in hindsight, Stevie was absolutely right in what he did. You know, as much as I didn't want it to happen, that was how I ended up. So it was probably my choice to to leave. Um, and but you know, it's just one of those things in football. You know, and then um, I I was basically uh, recovering. It takes quite a long time, obviously, to recover from the cruciate, but eight months, nine months. Uh, and by the time I come back for that, it was another one of these ones where still in Albion, we're winning League One, and going to the Championship. And there's me, I've been on the bench a couple of times that I haven't played. Um, and so, yeah, the next year was in the Championship. Um, really enjoyed that. Played about the first 15 games uh, and then uh, snapped my Achilles. And, and basically that was kind of, you know, the end of my Stirling Albion career as a, as a player anyway. Um, uh, and just, yeah, just one of these things that you can't really legislate for. And, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, Kind of after after missing like you know quite a long time with a leg break, to get those two as well was yeah it was a bit of a sickener but it's, that's just uh, just the way the way life goes I'm afraid. Uh, I mean that that's that's tough. That explains as well when I was trying to look at your stats, I couldn't understand yeah. if there had been a gap and yeah. obviously now that explains that. Aye, <laughs> uh, I mean I lost about three years to that. Yeah, and then, to be fair, it, in hindsight though, you know, I'm kind of one of these people that what's for you doesn't go past you and. You know, when I was coming back from a Achilles injury, um, you know, uh, that was when uh, Jockey Scott was was leaving, mm. uh, and I was back training by then, and I was one of the most experienced guys. And when I was out injured, I actually started when I did my when I broke my leg at East Five, I actually started doing my badges, my coaching badges. Okay. Um, and so I'd already done a few of them, and the chairman at Stirling knew that, uh, and I was one of the oldest guys in the dressing room at that point, and that was why he said, "Do you want to, you know, do you want to take care, take our charge?" So if it wasn't for those injuries, I probably wouldn't have got into that experience so early uh, in my career. So, you know, uh, I guess that was a silver lining as well. But just disappointing that that was, and it didn't really make much of an impact at all as a player at Stirling Albion, which is a bit of a regret. But, you know, as I say, these things happen. I mean, moving in, into management, you were, you were 29 then when you got the permanent position at Stirling. And obviously we're delighted for you because you like we all loved you at Bayview, delighted you'd gone into management. But at the same time, I do remember thinking, that's really young to suddenly go into management. I mean, did did you have any sort of apprehension about doing it so young? See if I'd been, I think if I'd been fully fit and playing, possibly. Um, but because of the fact I'd had a lot of time out, you know, I, I probably started to think more about, I knew that I was coming to the tail end of my career and that it was probably going to shorten my career. You know, a lot of players play now, you know, till they're, you know, 37, 38. But because of these injuries, I knew that probably wasn't going to be for me. Um, but, and then you, you almost went into it thinking, look, they've just asked me to take care, take a charge. There'll be a new manager coming in in a few weeks. Let's just see what happens. We hardly won a game all season. And to be honest, we were a bit of a gang. Um, and I, I just was like, you know, we we were trying to be tight at the back and, and that type of thing, and we couldn't do it. We just kept conceding goals. And so my first game in charge, I was like, you know what, let's just attack, let's let's go. And, you know, we, we played, like, I think I put two up front or three up front, and we just attacked, and I was just like, let's just go for it. And we ended up, I think our relegation rivals were Albion Rovers, and I think my first game in charge, I think we beat them 4-1 or something. Um, and so that gave us a wee bounce. And then I think we won the next week away from home, and then I think we got a draw. Or in fact, we won at home again and then we got a draw. So I think I got seven points out of nine or something like that in the first three games, which was pretty much what we had all season up to that point. And so it was almost one of these things where you're like, well, okay, do you want to take it to the end of the season? Well, I might as well, you know, and kind of go from there. And we actually had a no-bad fight. We got relegated in the end because we just couldn't catch up. And then because the, the board had seen enough, 
they were like, look, do you want to do you want to stay on and, and take it for next season? Uh, and I guess at that point, I was like, okay, let's you know, yeah, let's let's go for it and uh, and, and just kind of accept where I am. As I say, I've done my badges, um, and it's always been something that. I've always been interested in the tactics, like even from when I worked like at a younger age with guys like Dave McParland and things, I've always been interested in uh, in the more tactical side of the game. So yeah, it was probably, as I say, just something you stumble into, but once you're in it, then you know you think, right, okay, let's let's go for it and let's enjoy it. Well, last time I was three years I did it for, and uh, to say I, I don't regret it at all. It's tough going into management just in general for the first time. I remember... Like, we had former Welsh international Carl Robinson as an assistant here, and then he got the manager's job. So I remember speaking to him and him saying he'd gone from basically being the friend of the players because he was the assistant and he was the guy that they'd come and speak to, not the manager, to then being the guy that was the hard taskmaster. It must have been even harder then to go from a guy that was playing, you're the teammate of them, and now you're giving them instructions. Did, did you get full buy-in or was that difficult? Um, it it was difficult to start with, but so in my job, um, just through various different things that I'd done, I'd, you know, in the in the bank, you know, I'd, I'd ended up being like a manager of people, and that kind of helps in terms of talking, you know, and, and doing like presentations and things like that. So I was okay with that part of it, and I think that really helped. And there is a lot of kind of crossover, like of skills, uh, between the two. Um, and then, but what was difficult was, you know, when I was caretaker. I was getting changed in the dressing room with the guys and I was still doing the training. And I remember, like, um, so after we'd won the games and they said, we take it to the end of the season? And I'd just been one of the lads basically up until then. And I remember I walked into the dressing room to get changed and they all stopped. And then everybody stopped talking and they kind of looked at me and some of them sat down thinking, like, I was going to do some sort of team talk. And I remember turning to Sean Fagan and Marco and just being like, it's changed, in it? And they were like, yep. And at that point, I had to like change and go, you know, go like get changed in the manager's room um, from there. So it was a very, very obvious moment. And I did say to them in the very first kind of speech I had with the Stirling guys to say to them, look, you know, I want to help you. I don't want you to want to play for Stirling Albion. I want you to want to play at a higher level and I'll try and do my best to get there. But I'm now no longer your mate or your teammate because ultimately I have to probably get rid of some of you. Um, you know, and so uh, that, that you know, I just wanted to kind of put it out there and kind of start terms and set the expectation. Um, so, and that was difficult. We had quite a few boys on two-year contracts, and they wouldn't go because they probably knew it was their only chance to be on senior. And it took us it took us another year to get them out the door before I could then go and start getting some more experienced guys like uh, you know Ross Smiths and uh, sorry uh, Ross Versailles, Darren Smith, you know these kind of guys. Before I could Jamie Bishops, before I could go Kieran McInnesby, Mark Ferry, before I could go and get these guys, you know, we had to get some out the door. Um, so that was probably tough um, to, to start with. But when once we've managed to change it around a little bit, freshen it up, uh, then after that, they're players that you brought in. You know, you've you've told them what you want to do, you've sold it to them, so they're yours. Um, and, and that kind of made it a little bit, that made it easier from there on in. Obviously, you started doing your badges when you were at East Fife. Had you always had it in your mind that you were wanting to go into management at that point, or was it just um, I'm injured that it'll give me the experience sort of thing? As I say, I was interested tactically, and at first I thought, you know, it'll maybe help me, you know, do like uh, you know as a player when I from when I come back and it was filling the time and I was trying to be you know positive and you know I think my broken leg I was out for about fourteen months, so you know you've got to do something. Um, as well as kind of you know hit the gym and do all that kind of stuff and do the rehab for it, which is tough and soul destroying. So I thought if I've got something else to focus on, 
And then, as I say, I've always been interested in the tactical side of it. And when I realised that I was never going to be like the like, I, I don't think I ever got to being back anywhere near as fit as I was before I broke my leg. Um, and it was it was actually it was tough. Um, you know that the body didn't work as well. Um, you know, as as it, 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 you know, and I found it a lot tougher. Uh, I think at that point I kind of knew that my career would be curtailed. Um, but I have always fancied going into management. I did always want to do that. I liked the tactical kind of battle of it. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it was always probably something that I wanted to go into. And do you still harbour that sort of feeling to get back to to having your own club? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm, uh, like obviously leaving Stirling, I think it's important to, you know, you've got to look back and, and kind of take your learnings from a lot of it. And there's a lot of what we did, you know, we obviously got a promotion. Um, so there's a lot of what we did was, was right. There was some things you would do a little differently. And I felt like, you know, it was good to get a bit of perspective. So I had about four or five months, Mark, like we just had our our, our eldest daughter um, at that point um, where I just didn't do anything. And I was just happy just to kind of chill and just, you know, have my Saturdays that I hadn't had, you know, ever. Um, and then uh, Jim Chapman phoned me and said, would you come down to Annan? I said, Jim, I'm like, you know, I'm two stone overweight. And he was like, it doesn't matter. He said, I've got a team of kids. I've hardly got any experienced lads. Come down and just help out and do a bit of coaching and that as well. And I'd turned Chappie down quite a few times when he was a manager. So I uh, ended up going down and you know, my, my wife's like, are you crazy traveling all the way to Annan? You know, when you were like 30, years old and I'm like it was great I loved it and it was actually a really similar vibe in terms of dressing room a lot of young lads kind of you know and that keeps you young and it was good banter driving down in the car and I say I met, met some great guys um, so I did that for a bit and that kind of scratched the itch from a playing perspective that and my wee stint at Shettleston um, and at that point I thought right okay do I want to go back to coaching now and I'm conscious that you know, when I did the YTS, it was 1998, 99, 2000 you know um, so t- things have changed uh, and I, and Partick got a brilliant academy, and I seen them. You know, I, I knew Jerry Bitten from from years ago, um, and I seen them advertising for a, a youth coach, and I thought, right, I'll go for that. And so, as I say, I've been in, uh, working with Partick now for about five, four or five years, and just cracking club. You know, very similar to his Fife in a, in, a, in a way in terms of that kind of family community feel, um, and just couldn't do enough for you. And the academy is really progressive. Um, and working with a lot of brilliant coaches so I found that really really good and it helps you kind of look back and say well there's maybe things I did at Stirling that I'd maybe tweak slightly or there's things I did at Stirling that actually work really well in the Partick sphere and and, and you know and kind of just trying to become better at what you uh, you know the things that maybe I, w- I didn't feel I was as strong at uh, so I think it's been it's been ideal so yeah if, if you know if, if an opportunity arose that I, w- that I was tempted by I mean as I say I've not I've not been there's nothing that's I felt has been right for me or the right time yet um, but I think if you know if something came up that I would be interested in then, then certainly I would look at it Have you had any offers? I had a couple I as well yeah um, I spoke to a, I spoke to a couple of senior teams and suddenly I got a couple of assistant managers kind of like were chatting with guys about getting back in uh, and there was a couple of junior teams as well but it's one of those where I don't maybe know the junior game that well and kind of thought, you know, is that what I want to do? And as I say, I just, I didn't feel it was right for me. Um, uh, and as I say, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at Partick um, uh, just now. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy where I, where I am just now. So, so confirm or uh, deny, I applied for the East Fife job a couple of times? 
No, I don't know where that's. When I seen you, you send the question through. You know, I, 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 as I say, it's something that you know when the right opportunity comes up, then you know I won't be shy and you know and applying for things. But uh, I don't think you'll be needing a manager or a coach anytime soon. I think Darren's doing a terrific. He's doing a terrific job. Dan's doing a great um, job. I, I, I honestly, that your squad that you've got, and I think you mentioned it earlier, Mike, as well, is settled. And that's always a great yeah. side to see when you're talking about a part-time team. You know, our both have had it for a few years as well, right. and look where they are. Uh, I think Dumbarton had it for a few years before that, and Alloa uh, as well. So I think you know it's, it's really good to see that kind of you know almost from the team that Gary had, and then evolve through like you know Barry and uh, Darren, and you know it's got quality in it and really really well balanced as well. So um, you know I think could have a real strong push for promotion next year. And I hope well, we're hopeful of that. Um, so you famously missed your game at Rangers because you were getting married. So. First of all, why did you agree to get married in the football season? <laughs> that's, 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 you know, the, the only thing that I've heard yeah. as bad as that is one of my really good friends, Rab, he got married at Tea in the Park weekend and honestly, the, well, the boys didn't speak to him for weeks. Right? I was going to say that's worse. That's absolutely worse. Right. Um, honestly, didn't speak to him for weeks. So I'd imagine how your mates must have felt. Do you know, it's one of these weird ones that, you know, we'd, we actually, um, I'd booked the venue before I'd even asked her, um, I'd found somewhere that I knew she would like. I was kind of probably a little bit sure of myself, but yeah, I'd booked the venue. Um, and this, bearing in mind, I was injured, like coming back for being injured as well and that, that type of thing. Um, so just kind of getting back to fitness. And then, we, yeah, we went we went and got engaged. Um, and then the same day I got engaged, the Stirling chairman phoned me. We were away, to, we were going to stay in a, in a hotel for the night. Um, and so, yeah, Jen's like she's delighted, you know, like having a ring. Uh, and and then the, the, my phone goes, and it's the Stirling chairman saying like, "We've just sacked Jockey. Would you take? Would you take care, take a charge?" The same day, and I'm like, "Right, okay." So it's just a bit surreal. Um, and then obviously things develop from there. And then you're thinking, well, like I booked an October. I think it was sixth of October. It was so I booked that. It's nine months in advance. I'd booked it about a month before we got engaged. You know, and then like uh, you know, I'm still in the caretaker role, and then I get the job permanently. By that time, we've started paying for stuff, and everything's booked. And then the whole Rangers thing happened, where they got demoted, and you're thinking, right, they're going to be a League Two team. I'm waiting for the fixtures to come out, and you know, it obviously comes out, and it's uh, it's the sixth of October. And then the chairman comes to me, and he was like, and he already knew I was getting married then, because when I signed the contract, I told him. Um, and he was like, yeah, it's fine, you know, you're getting married, it's the best day of your life. And then when the Rangers think, they were like, okay, we might move it to the Sunday to go on TV, or we might bring it earlier on the Saturday. And so we were getting married at two o'clock, and Jen, and Jen was like, look, we'll push it, to th- if, there, if we can do it at midday on a Saturday, then we'll move it to three o'clock on the, on the, like the wedding at three o'clock. So it was just down the road because we got married in dollars. So I'm like, perfect, great, let's do that. And so even up until about four weeks before the wedding, Sky hadn't confirmed whether they were taking the game or whether they weren't. And I remember the chairman just phoned me and said, Greg, they're not taking the game. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's not very good. And about, uh, I, it was just really weird. And then about, was it just before that? Um, yeah, I think just the game before that, you know, I was under a bit of pressure and we were playing a cup game away at Dalbeat and we had a massive injury crisis and I ended up having to play. I hadn't trained for about three months and I ended up having to play. So I ended up playing, we won the game and I scored and, and then like we went from that then into the Rangers game but we had the boys back then so we didn't have to play and, 
you know, it was one of those ones where I just had to do my team talk on Thursday night and all the boys understood. We prepped, you know, all week for it in terms of how we were going to play. And it's just one of those things where you have to say some things in life are more important. And so I remember the day of the wedding, I'm standing getting my pictures taken. And my best man standing beside, he's standing beside me and me and Jenna got our pictures taken and he's checking his phone and he's like, he says, and, uh, he's like, 1-0. And I says, all right, who scored? And he, he says, uh, Brian Allison. And I was like, what? And he said, aye, you're winning one now. I said, fuck off. And he says, we're winning one now. And I'm trying to get, and I'm trying to get my pictures taken as well. And I'm like, seriously, and he, threw, and he threw me his phone, right? I thought he was going to wind up. Threw me his phone. I'm like, all right. So for about the next hour and a half, honestly, longest hour and a half of my life, me, we've gone off getting pictures taken around this like kind of house thing, right? And, uh, and I'm just standing there like, I've got my phone on me or anything. I'm like, fuck, hurry up. So we get back to go for the meal and basically we sit down at the top like the table and like the, the guy who's doing it kind of announces, you know, just as everybody sits down to dinner, just at Stirling and Albion are beating Rangers 1-0 and the place just went absolutely mental, you know, and I had a few Rangers fans in there, but a few Celtic fans as well. And they were, it was, it was just like the most surreal kind of, kind of thing. And then uh, actually the day before, sorry, I'm talking about the day before, we were uh, we were going to play golf. Me and my like my best men, a few of my mates. So there was two four balls, and we were playing it. Glen Burnley, anyway, we were playing golf, and yeah, basically Sky Sports phoned me on the Thursday night and said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" And I said, "Well, I'm, I said I'm playing golf. Where about?" And I said, "I told him." And he was like, "Cool, we'll meet you there, and we just want to do a wee bit and prep for the game." And I'm like, "All right, fair enough. That's fine. I've done a few." So we rock up to play at golf and there's the Sky Sports big truck there and my mates are like I had told them and they're like what the fuck's going on here um, and so basically we were like can we do a wee interview Greg and I'm like fine so do a wee bit prep for the game blah 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 get married you know all this kind of stuff and then they're like can we talk to your best man my, my best, so my best mate he's like alright okay so he goes and talks to him and then the boy comes over and he says if you don't mind we're just going to film you as teen off so like, I don't mind playing football in front of a camera. I don't mind talking in front of a camera. But uh, stand up on a tee, right, when you've not played golf in a wee while and hit a drive with a Sky Sports camera standing beside you. I was shaking like uh, I've never been so nervous in my entire life. So anyway, they filmed me and all my mates teeing off and they actually showed it during the night. And one of my mates recorded it. So he's got like, he got it um, aye, of us teeing off. And thankfully, I had no bad one. Uh, uh, so I was pretty pleased with that. But that was probably the most nerve-wracking part. Uh, doing it so just one of these one of these things but I got the chance to manage at Ibrox and you know and they had their, it was their armed forces day and there was 50,000 and then the next time we went to Ibrox it was live on BT I think was, or whatever it was at that time um, BT and we drew that game and then we drew in a night game with them so I mean we got five points off them in that season so it was uh, yeah it was a fairly decent uh, decent return but just one of those crazy life moments you know and uh, we've got wedding pictures of uh, me on Sky Sports while Jen's getting her makeup done, um, you know, and prep for the wedding day and things. So it's uh, a lovely memory. And I mean, your interview with Sky Sports, the, the second best interview you've ever had, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, are you talking about the one I did with the, after Dumbarton? No, I'm thinking about this. Oh, sorry, <laughs> actually, uh, I thought you were going to do me there. Where I did when I first took over at Stirling, uh, I did a press interview. We'd, the ref was honestly shocking, absolutely shocking, and I, a wee bit naive. And I've walked—I haven't even went in the dressing room. I've walked straight out to do the press kind of part. And there was a young reporter there, first ever game, 
And so some of the guys you know from doing the press, and, I, and I've been like, I, said, I just so basically launched into it as an effing joke. It was never a penalty. The ref was miles off at all game. Blah blah blah. It doesn't give anything against us, you know. But you know we're bottom of the league, so it's easy to give you know dodgy decisions against us. And I've just laid into the ref, right? Absolutely laid into him, swearing and stuff. And well, the young reporter prints it verbatim in the paper, doesn't he? Like, exp- like starting out the swear words and everything like that. And I'm like. Oh no! And I ended up. I remember I have to phone uh, John Fleming, the head of the referees, on the Monday and say, "Look, I was just I was up to here, and I said I was raging at him. I thought it was a terrible performance, but I said there's no way I should have said that, and I apologised." And he was like, "Greg, he said we've all done it. He says don't worry about it at all." And I got the I got the ref's number and, and made a wee phone call to him, just apologised that it came out like that. And you know, a couple of the more experienced reporters were like, "You know, we don't. A lot of managers do that. We don't print it." You know, but this guy would have been his first job printed it. And I remember the Sterling chairman saying to me, like, you might want to tone down the swear words next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry about that. So that's what I thought you were talking about there when you said the second best interview. So, yeah. Uh, you guys are soundly third, though. You've got to find that in print. Yeah. Don't, don't find it. Don't I'll find be it. searching for that now. Uh, I'm so naive, I'm so naive when I look back at it now, but uh, funny, funny. So talking about, obviously, mistakes, you came back to Bayview and stabbed us all in the back by leading Sterling to the playoff finals against us. Yeah. Just how does it feel to be a massive Judas? <laughs> Do you know, I took, honestly, some abuse for that for my mates and everything as well. But it's it was a strange, strange feeling. Obviously, like, I've worked, we've worked, you know, to do it for Sterling. Um, and then when I seen it was going to be East Fife, and I have to say, we bounced into the playoffs. Our form was, was cracking. And I think in the... I think in some, I think in up until that point in my the whole time at Stirling, I don't think we'd lost when we'd taken the lead. So even in the first leg of the playoff final, we took the lead. And so there was almost this as soon as we took the lead, we had this kind of calm over us. And then obviously I think I think Nathan Austin, did he get one or two? And if I can't remember who maybe if he didn't get the second one. I think he got um, one. I can't mind who the other one was. I don't know who got the other one, but basically it was two two it wasn't Pagey, was it? um Stevie Campbell. I don't know. Um so basically, two, yeah, two one down, and I, I said to my wife, I said, I just, I just fancy us. I think we'll, you know, I just fancy us. Big open pitch at Bayview, you know. We'll see, and I, I don't think I was that nervous about it. And then I remember saying, to her, it might be a bit weird though if, if we win, and you know, I, I was kind of part of the team that helped get East Fife promoted, and now you know I'm going to put the final nail in the coffin, kind of almost. And it was, it was that kind of surreal way, but you know. Um, even after the game, I remember looking around and obviously you're delighted. And then that moment hits you where you're like, fuck, I've actually like, you know, we've achieved this, we've done it. And I remember seeing like, you know, Leona and Monty and Dave Marshall and Liam and Jimmy and even Gary Naismith. I'd met Gary a few times by that point and just what a lovely guy, you know. And I think you learn more about people, I think, when you lose rather than when you win. And I have yeah. to say, Gary Naismith, just what a lovely guy he was and um, took it really well. Paul Hegarty, and Heggie's like a friend of my family because of Morris. And they were absolutely brand new. And it was just that really, you know, I remember being in the office after it and like, they were, you know, really complimentary about the team and the game. But at the same time, I'm like, I'd been there and I'd been relegated, so I knew how they were feeling. Um, and so I had massive respect for them. And I remember going to go up the stairs at Bayview and thinking, uh, I felt a wee bit guilty, you know, and then you go up 
and as I say, this is another thing that when I walked up the stairs, the first people to come over and greet me were these five fans saying kind of, you know, in the same way you did, like, oh, you bastard, but at the same time, well done, you know, congratulations. And, you know, that's another one of these things why, that you know, I, you know I've got a lot, of, a lot of love for the club, just the way that they kind of reacted to that. They were pleased for me individually, but at the same time, you know, they could have a bit of a laugh about it and, you know, understood that it's just football. Um but I like to think of it as like it was probably the best thing that ever happened to you because since then you've hit reset and never looked back. So, yep. you know, I think let's let's take the positives, Lee, right? And just, yeah. Th- this uh, is like Dev Muir splitting up with his girlfriend. It's like it all worked out good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, I have to say it was a decent game as well. I thought the, the second leg was actually a decent game. So, um, but The only way that I could sort of liken it is Walking in on your best mate grafting your misses. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's one of those you've walked in, you meant, oh, not you. Nah, you would never <laughs> do that to me. That's exactly what that was like. And yeah. I, I, have I, have I, you got I experience still... of that? That like you say that that was just what it was like? <laughs> Every weekend that I've been out with my missus. Um, nah, all joking aside, like, I, I still remember the, the boards going up at the sort of away end of the at Bayview in front of your fans celebrating and just you being on the edge jumping up and down and I was like ah. you know, I actually <laughs> felt weird being in the in the kind of away end as well like just that kind of weird feeling you're looking up to the home end like kind of just you know I've spent a lot of years there and it was empty and so you know it just it was a, a little bit surreal you know that day so um, but as I say you know it's worked out well, well it worked, I was going to say it worked out well for East Fife um, didn't work out so well for me. I got the, I got the sack about nine games later. So <laughs> when you when you've come back to Bayview, have you come in and automatically gone to go towards the home dressing room rather than go towards the away dressing room, or did, did you consciously never make that mistake? Um, I, I, I did. I didn't do that. But what I nearly did. Um, so for years, started really early on. That I, I like a coffee before a game. I like coffee in general. But I used to go upstairs to the kitchen and get a, I get a coffee. Um, and I, when I first walked in, it was like that temptation to walk upstairs and do it. And actually, when I seen John Bartley and he said, I, well, I get you a coffee because he knew because he sometimes would get it for me as well uh, from when I was playing. So that was really nice. Just like we touches like that, you know, in that kind of way, we're just out of habit, you know, and going back and uh, kind of seeing it. And it was, I say, it was a bit weird being in the kind of opposition dugout and that type of thing. And uh, and, and being at the other end, the wrong ends, really, from, from where I used to. But, uh, you know, brilliant to be back, nonetheless. A bit weird with the power station not being there as well. Oh, it's so yeah. much nicer now, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What we're trying to do is, if I can find a good themed song for each player that we have on at the end of the interview, I'm going to play that. So I'm thinking Chris Jericho, the wrestler, his theme tune is his band Fozzy singing Judas. So that might be the, the song that we end this interview with. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, yes. I think I preferred Toro than Judas. <laughs> I thought you were going to come out with some kind of bull-related song there, Michael. But oh, uh, I'll, well, well, I'll find one. Yeah, okay. I'll find one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as it's not anything to do with Judas, I think you forgive me now. So. Okay, no, totally. It's like I totally get it because that's. It's like when when players don't celebrate when they score against their old team. Sometimes, like if someone's been with a team for say fifteen years and then they've moved on, I maybe get it. But if a guy's just been like a year or he's been let go when he didn't want to let go, it's like fair play to them celebrate. But it's like that was your job and it meant a lot to you. 
And if you hadn't won that, you could have got sacked. I know you did get sacked soon after, but it's it's like everything's on the line and it's the emotions of the day. It's like we, we spoke to Bobby Lynn about this as well because he gives it to us and stuff, but he's getting abuse, so it's like fair play to him. Aye, aye, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, yeah, and so that, that that day was the culmination of like for almost my entire time at Stirling, I was I was working in London. So I was kind of training on Tuesday, getting the red eye to London on a Wednesday, flying back on a Thursday, landing about six o'clock at Glasgow, and then driving straight to training. And so by the end of that kind of what well, that would have been two well that would have been two and a half years kind of into the the, the kind of job you know I was knackered as well so it, t- it takes a lot out of you and that's the kind of culmination of everything you've tried to do and um and you know as I say we'd had a really good season we'd been solid we'd been in the top four the whole time so we kind of deserved it and that was just the kind of icing on the cake but there's almost that moment of just like you know just like okay we've done it now we've achieved it so um, and then that was just yeah the, the sad thing was it was obviously against against these five at Bayview so um, but you know just a combination of a long a lot of, a lot of graft really so you know it's and I think that's that's I think these five fans respect that as well yeah. I think you get it so yeah it's different if you you know you're getting as you say if you're getting abuse or somebody's you know running away saying get it right up you when they score it so that's a bit different but yeah this one was just a kind of combination of a lot of hard work and it was any inf- any offence yeah. ten- intended no, if anyone does doesn't get that then it's get it like, around you yeah it's like that's it yeah well we've not got much more to go Lee's going to finish with your your best 11 played with and against and then a, another little question as well so I, I've got one more thing to ask you we feel the, the last six weeks seven weeks of doing this it's, we've talked non-stop about league reconstruction and I can't believe we're now getting close to mid-July and it's everything's still like rumbling on. You're the player that's... You've been in the lower leagues your, your whole career. You're used to playing teams four times a season, which can be good, can be bad. How would you like to have seen this settled? What for you is the ideal future for Scottish football? Yeah, I mean, t- tough question. Um, do you know what? I'm just what an opportunity I think we had. Yeah, you know we talk about you know obviously it's like a really sad situation. A lot of people have lost their lives, right? That's that's just given into the side. I'm talking about from a football perspective. Oh, yeah. We've talked about you know re- like reconstruction for a lot a lot of years and about doing things that would make it you know better for fans or more competitive for players. Um, and I think we had a great opportunity. And when I look at like the kind of the two sides, I think of it as on the pitch and off the pitch. On the pitch, I look at you know. Um, I look at players doing things like, you know, Danny Danny Denham and, and uh, David Weatherston doing like, you know, podcasts and writing and stuff like that and bringing positive attention to the game. I look at people like Scotty McLaughlin and, uh, and David Cox doing like, you know, um, you know, challenges to raise money for certain, you know, certain charities. I, you know, I look at clubs like Elgin and uh, and you know and Steny giving like meals out and being a community hub and giving out meals to people who, who kind of you know are, uh, are like you know kind of vulnerable or kind of could do with support. You know, guys like yourself and you know and uh, doing the podcast and Sai Ferries and these kind of guys, all the positive kind of side of things seem to be coming from there. And I just feel like from a, a leadership perspective, it's we had an opportunity and, mm-hmm. and instead what we've had is kind of shithousery and, and basically just court cases and stuff that it didn't need to be. Um, and I, I just feel a little bit disappointed, if I'm being honest. I think I was, you know, I seen the survey that the PFA did and what 80% of players wanted reconstruction. I think the majority of fans wanted reconstruction. 
And I think just from a sheer logic perspective, 14, 10, 10, 10 means that nobody's really that disadvantaged. You know, I thought these five statement was really good considering you're one of the guys that were in the playoff position that probably would have been seen to have lost out of that. But at the same time, you don't want to see another club hurt. Um, you know, 14, 14, 14, would that, would that have worked? You know, I possibly, and I would have quite liked that. But I think that, for me, the no-brainer would have been 14, 10, 10, 10. I don't think you'd have had a lot of dissenting voices. And we could have been focusing on how to sell our game better. We've got, or like, you know, I've seen the stat trotted out all the time about per capita people that come to Scottish football. We've got something that people like to come and watch. I think we need to start taking ourselves seriously if we want to be taken seriously and advertise it and sell it. You know, I've watched things about the English Premiership saying we're the best league in the world. Well, are you? Are you just just the best marketed and just the richest? You know, I think we we, we need to kind of if we're just going to settle for what we've got just now, then we'll always just have what we've got just now. We need to think, you know, try and push the game forward. So I'd like to have seen that happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, as I say, there's a lot of positive things that have came out from on the pitch and from the clubs. Um, and provided we can get out of this, we you know no no clubs going bust and and you know players maybe not losing jobs or players who are without clubs getting back in. I think that's probably the best we can hope for for now. But you never know. Obviously things are ongoing. Uh, but I'd like to have seen you know just a bit more positivity. I felt like it was an opportunity and and it's not missed yet. But you know it could be an opportunity missed, uh, yep. and that's that makes me a wee bit disappointed. Yeah. I mean, it it feels like a total wasted opportunity, and like we'll be putting this in our show in two weeks' time because we're kind of recording some stuff a little bit ahead. So that takes us up to a week, week and a half before the premiere's meant to start. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, things are then sorted. But you can't have it dragging on like this. And for like being at Partick, I mean, I know you were the academy side, but what's what's the mood like there? Because they're they're the team in all of this that are really really like disadvantaged because you had a game in hand and you you have that game in hand because you are representing your club in a national cup competition it's it's farcical uh, yeah uh, i mean I, I obviously don't speak for for politics so yeah. i need to probably make that clear oh, yeah. you know this yeah. is just a personal opinion and i work for the academy uh, side of things but yeah i mean it's obviously really hard to bear when you've got a game in hand um, and you know you win that that's a whole different whole different picture you know um, and so I think um, it's just it's unfair you know I mean you could talk about Hearts and Stranraer like maybe maybe slightly less so but you know we're talking about a global pandemic here we're talking about businesses being in trouble and I don't really see why it should be a, you know we should be punishing three teams uh, specifically you know, rather than just taking the hit as a football community and then saying, actually, this is the best thing that we could do to weather it as a group. So let's do that. And then let's start talking about, you know, the more positive things that we could be doing to sell our game rather than just, well, you know, okay, this will keep some people right and this will look after, you know, these guys and maybe the more elite kind of members of of the football community. Um, I just feel that it was, as I say, an opportunity missed. Um, uh, and so there's still time to fix it. Um, but obviously at the time this goes out, then it might have changed. So yeah. you never know. East Fife could be sitting in the Premier League and Partick could be in League Two, depending on how the <laughs> things go. So I think if they base it on who's got the best podcasts, we are going to be in the, in the top flight, Lee. You'd be right up there. Right Champions up there. League position, mate. Yeah. Champions yeah. League position. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you some proper questions yeah. now. So okay, we're going to ask you... Who is the best player you've played with? East Fife or I'll let you choose. Because I thought, yeah, 
at East Fife, you know, uh, I seen like some of the other, like notable mentions, yeah, for Bobby Lynn and Paul McManus and you know uh, and guys. And I say we had we had a lot of underrated players as well. You know, uh, Doogie Cameron and Bibby did like some really good players. Um, I would say for me, a guy I grew up playing with he was a year above me at Dunfermline, Chris Templeman. Mm. Sani was Sani was an incredible player. Um, you know, and he wouldn't have been anywhere near Scottish football if he could run. Um, and he knows that, but he was, uh, yeah, could finish, could hold the ball in. Is you know the the, the typical cliche that goes with Sani, great feet for a big man, but he could do everything. Um, do you remember the night we got pumped uh, at Pataudry four 0 and um, Willie got sent off after about a minute. Yeah, um, and Sonny Aluko just tore us a new one. Um, yeah, that he was incredible that night, and if it wasn't for him, we would have lost more because he was he basically was like holding the ball up and keeping it off two Scotland centre halves, two Aberdeen centre halves, and he was brilliant that night, absolutely brilliant for us. Um, and I think he's probably a really underrated player. Um, about everywhere he's went, beacon for for you know everywhere he's went, he scored goals. Uh, and I always thought he was just a terrific player, although he did. Uh, I don't know if you've got time for this, but he did. Like oh, when we were at Dunfermline, we it was when the sports scientists first come in, and uh, <clears throat> he basically uh, we had to, all had to get our body fats checked. And so there was a group of like there was the first team of about eighteen, and then there was about maybe seven or eight of us who were kind of the next kind of you know coming in, and we would get on the bench or whatever between us, and, and basically we were the reserve team plus the subs from a Saturday, and. Uh, so basically, they were doing like body fats throughout the, you know, everybody in the club. And if you weren't under a certain percentage, right, you had to go, and they called it the fat club. And so, and I think, uh, you know, and I can't remember what the percentage was. And Sani was above it, you know, for our team. And if one, the, the way they wanted to do it, if one person was above it, everybody ran. And so for about, I don't know, must have been a good month, at least a month, like on a Tuesday before we had the Wednesday off, they would run us round East End Park. And Hamish French would do it, and he was a machine, and we'd be up and down the stands. And honestly, it was horrendous. It was horrendous, and just, just, just killing us, and to try and get us fitter. And the first team players would come past and be like, "Hey, it's the fat club out running," and it would just to give us abuse for it. And then at the end of the month, they did the body fats again, <laughs> and so we'd all come down. And I think Sani had stayed the same as well. And at that point, we were all just like. You are kidding. And even John Ritchie and Jimmy Nickel and that were just like, Do you know what? He's fucking really good with the ball. Who cares? That's it. Fine. Don't worry. He can have it. He can be exempt. And it was just one of those kind of funny moments. And then as I say, I played with him at Breakin and then when he came to East Fife, um, and I thought he was he was absolutely brilliant for us in that, that season as well. So I would probably say big Sani actually. Again, I've got like loads and loads of love for Chris Templeman and I totally couldn't couldn't give me any more of it that the only thing that he lacked was pace. Um, but he's actually a lollipop man now. Is he? Um, right, yes. Yeah. yeah, in Thornton, um, which right, is where okay. my wife's from. So Aye. when we take my wee one to the playgroup, I always see him. So I can't wait to to tell him that one. When I see Aye, him no, um, yeah, and brilliant guy as well. Just such a like you know nice guy, not not an aggressive kind of guy at all. But as I say, there was like yeah, he had everything really. He could pass, he could finish, he could head the wall. Like yeah, he just had everything. So for me, like you know, I know that uh, there might be other players that kind of maybe catch the eye a little bit more. But you know, for somebody playing with him, I always thought he was uh, he was a top player. Yeah, and again, a top guy. I've got a quick Chris Templeman story, which I'll tell, and I bumped into him <laughs> the night he found out he was going to be a dad on a night right. out. And he was 
absolutely steaming. Like, honestly, totally blutered. It was in Sticks Nightclub in Glenrothes, which is just an absolute dive. And he said, Lee, come here, come here. Put his arm in me and he's like, am I Yuri's five hero? And I was like, of course you are, Chris. Eh? <laughs> he's like, I'm going to score 20 goals next season. I went, you're ass. You're never scoring 20 goals next season. He's like, a bottle of vodka tells me, uh, and he, he drinks in the same local as me. He's like, a bottle of vodka tells me that I'll finish top goal scorer at East Fife next season, 20 goals. And I think he got eight. So every time I see him, I'm like, where's, where's my bottle of vodka attempts? And he's like, oh, it's behind the bar for you. No, I still was haven't that, got that yet. Is that, was that the 2008? Like, is that the season? Did he get eight that year? Was that, I thought he got more. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Uh, he, he was played massively out of position on the bakey, though. I mean, Paul, like uh, McManus was the kind of main striker, and then you almost had three behind him, didn't you? With like kind of Bobby Lynn, um, Big Sani, uh, and then it was either Paul Walker or like uh, we Kev Gordon, um, and then you kind of had it was almost a four-two-three-one for us, and Bibby and Paul Stewart or Bibby and Dude kind of sitting. So, uh, I it was uh, that was the kind of way we set it up. But I mean, we we got I we scored a fair few that year. I think the back four chipped him quite a lot as well. So yeah. it kind of goals all the way through us, but. Yeah, I think everybody chipped in. So, what I'm going to do is, is I would normally ask you your best eleven played with and best eleven played against. Have you got it written down? You organised? Do you know what? This was by far the hardest thing. I just sat there like yeah. you know, it was worse than the biscuit question. Um, <laughs> so I just sat there like trying to think, you know, who who's like the best players I played with, and you know, the, I have to say, like when I went through with. It was like a lot of guys from you know the Dunfermline team that I was trying to break into was sitting third in the SPL, so you know it was a lot of the guys are there. So I kept them in because not because I necessarily played with them, but more just that I got to, that I was training with them all the time, and yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of put them in. Uh, there's a couple of a couple that you, you like kind of weren't at Dunfermline that I threw in as well. So I can go through that if you like. So yeah, so we'll start off with then Greg. Um, best eleven played with. Um, so I'm going to put um, Scott Thompson, um, a goalie, so fam- famously saved the, the penalty for, for against Celtic for Wraith Rovers in the Coca-Cola Cup final. Um, and Tomo was, you know, he actually didn't play even that often for Dunfermline. There was a guy, Marco Rutenbeek, and I was close to putting Marco in. He was just a big unit, like guy, like massive. Um, but what I liked about Scott Thompson was he was the absolute ultimate pro. You know, just, you know, the way he trained, everything was 100%. Um, and as I say, I kind of liked guys like that. They're like they, you know, they just had a great work ethic about him. Uh, and I actually played in the reserves with him a lot. Um, so kind of, you know, just like uh, I think I probably played a lot of games beside Tomo, and um, you know, he was capable of just unbelievable saves. More just from a, a professionalism aspect, he was just top class. Right back, I've went with a guy who's still playing the now for Alawa, Andy Graham. Um, so Andy, I played at Stirling with, and Andy actually signed for Stirling Albion after being amateur, and Alan Moore brought him in. And uh, he's now playing centre half because I don't I don't think he's quite as quick as he was. Uh, but we used to travel together, and what an athlete Andy Graham is! Like he, or he, he probably still is. No, Andy's just one of those freaks. Um, but he was just a machine, and he could play anywhere you asked him to. Just uh, you know, doesn't he, he, I don't know. It's a bit weird. He's probably quite a big guy, quite strong. Maybe doesn't necessarily look like a good footballer, but. I just like the way he went about his business and, you know, that year we got promoted and then he went to full time. I think he went, was it Hamilton he went to? He played at Hamilton and then he was at Morton for a bit. Um, and just again, brilliant guy. And, you know, I, I just felt like he was really kind of underrated uh, as a player and still playing at a very high level just now for Alawa. Uh, so I went for Andy at right back. Um, two centre-halves. 
uh, Andreas Skerler uh, and Scott Thompson. So Nipper, I seen that um, Darren Young put in Nipper as well. Um, he was he was what a player he was. I mean, he was flying when uh, coming through that time, and I was talking about getting a Scotland call up. Uh, Scott Thompson, um, Skerler was just you know he was Lithuanian international, um, not great on the ball. But just a you know just a warrior, just we go and get stuck in uh, st- stuck in everything. So and you know they, these were the guys that were kind of sitting in front of me at Dunfermline. So you know again there was no complaints about not getting in, but they were brilliant to watch and brilliant to train with. And then I went left back. I went Stuart Petrie. Um, so SP was like you know he kind of um, he was he was either he was in and out of Jimmy Calderwood's team, but he was always a guy as a senior pro. He would put his arm around you and like you know pre season like I would run beside him, like you know we were kind of similar paces I think. So he kind of did that, and he was just you know one of those guys that you could tell he was going to go on to be a coach as well. So I'm really pleased that he's doing such a good job at Montrose, uh, and just a yeah just a brilliant guy and what a delivery he had off his off his left foot. So and again played with him quite a lot in the reserves. So went with Stuart Petrie. Um, Midfield three was, um, th- well, two guys that went on to do well in England. The one that, you know, kind of came to Dunfermline up, like, kind of more on the twilight his career. So I went with Lee Bullen, um, who, who ended up going to Sheffield United. And just, again, just a big athlete. Could play in four or five different positions. Um, really good player. Um, Ian Ferguson. Um, and, you know, Fergie was just, you know, his legs had gone by that point, but his passing. Uh, was was different class and I remember he was just like if he's 10 yards away from you it was getting wrapped into you and you know it was just he didn't even really have to shout at you it was just the way he would look at you that you were like I better control this or he's not you know he was just had that kind of fear factor about him but yeah brilliant guy and when I got released he actually you know I, I had some some part of my contract was still remaining and he actually helped me negotiate the release from it because I was like I didn't think it was fair and he was the captain of the team and then I went to him and he helped uh, and just had massive respect for him. Like he didn't have to bother about me, you know. I was just a wee young guy, but you know, even though he'd done been there and done it for Rangers and for Scotland, you know, he still took the time to help me. And and yeah, I just thought he was brilliant. Uh, and then Barry Nicholson, um, I put in as well. Like who went on to do well uh, as well for Aberdeen and then down south. And and he was, uh, he was you know, a very very good player. Um, kind of good timing and runs into into the box and kind of tried to pick up a wee bit from him uh, as well. So uh, I put those three in. And then I went uh, three up front, so I had to go four three three. Uh, I went Owen Coyle, um, who I think I explained just uh, up like he. I've never seen anybody hate to lose a five side game as much. Maybe Bibby, um, but he would uh, he, he would hate to lose even just a five side game. But he was brilliant, just enthusiasm, and you know a lot of guys like when they go to finish, we'd be smashing it. Owen Coyle wasn't that type of guy; he would just pass it into the net, and I just thought he was just a brilliant finisher. Um, up front um, as well, Stevie Craw. I went with so obviously I knew Craw, and he was he was kind of he was up front. Uh, it was mainly him and Brewster or him and Bullen. I think they were up front and, and own coil as well. So I went with Stevie Craw, who you know well doesn't need any introduction. Um, and then the final one would be Roddy Grant. So I played with Roddy at, uh, at Brecon. Um, and if you've got time for that quick story about Roddy, I, my first Brecon training session. Um, and we were playing a wee game and Roddy was playing up front and I'm behind him and the ball was about to get passed into his feet and I, I read it and I dived in front of him got the ball and then scored the goal and he said to me uh, you'll not do that again wee man and, I, and I, here's me like just kind of straight out of full time football thinking I'm like the boy and I'm like okay we'll see and then the next time like the ball went to go past into him and I tried to do the same again and then next thing I know I was lying on the grass 
like burst mouth and he basically just swung an arm and I just ran straight into his arm like clothesline myself and he got the ball turned and scored and then he helped me up and he said I told you you wouldn't do that again and I'm like <laughs> okay yeah you're right I won't do that again so kind of lesson learned <laughs> but he, he was he was a bit like Chris Templeman but I mean Roddy Grant was a, was a finisher and a half even when I went to Stirling he was the assistant manager at Stirling and we do we shooting drills after the game and Roddy was still the best finisher uh, incredible just knows where the net is brilliant uh, and a great guy as well. So that that was my that was my played with. That's a, a good team, a, a really good team. Let's go to your against because you'll probably be quite similar to Dev if you played in the reserves. You'll probably have a a good against team. Aye, yeah. Um, so I went I went three four three right to fit some in. So I went Rab Douglas in the goals only because yeah. he's an absolute mountain. And I used to like going forward for corners. And any I used to hate the games where he was a goalie because as soon as the ball comes in the box, you can just hear it. Keepers, and then you're like, oh no, I'm getting a sore one, and the big knee would come out, and you would go, oh man, it was just, it was awful, and he just had these massive like paws, and just the ball looked like a marble, and I just always felt like he was one of these guys. He flattened me one day at Dens Park for Stirling uh, as well, and just, I, um, I brilliant goalie. Um, back three, I went Whitaker, um, just you know, an, an engine, just a real engine on him, and he was good. Um, one that I was struggling with the centre half. Uh, I played a game once where Bobo Baldy was in it, but it was only one game and it was only for a bit. But I went with Andy Webster um, purely because I had to mark him um, when he was playing for Hearts. And I, I can't remember, it might have been a friendly for East Fife or something, I can't remember. And, um, and he was, you know, uh, like I always kind of thought I was no bad in the air. And he was he was a bear, you know, to try and stop him. You know, he was just really, really good in the air and a difficult opponent. So I went with him. Um, and then left uh, the left side, I went Lee Wallace, um, who you know it was his heart stage when I played against him. And then I seen him close up, obviously when my Stirling team played Rangers, and he can shift. He doesn't look. He's one of these guys that just doesn't look like he's moving very fast. But you know, I remember our fastest player, Phil Johnson, got the ball at Ibrox, and I'm like to Phil, run him. And I remember Ali McCoy kind of turning and looking at me and saying, "Are you being serious?" And Phil tried to run him. Lee Wallace just jogged alongside him, basically wiped out Phil into the advertising board and got the ball, turned round and went back the other way. And he was just a machine of a guy. And I thought, yeah, really impressive. So uh, Lee Wallace. Um, and then midfield, midfield four is pretty good. Um, so Kanchelskis, uh, Sean Maloney, uh, Charlie Adam and Bobby Petter. So That's they a good were, midfield. <laughs> played against... Uh, by Peter was weirdly a friendly for the Dunfermline against uh, Celtic at Bayview, funnily enough. And I played against him. Um, oh man, just he only not made me once, but he was he was, he was incredible. Um, and in that same game, Sean Maloney played, and uh, I like I, the range of passing was just from him was brilliant. You know, anywhere he got it on the part, he just dictated the entire game. Um, and he was yeah, a joy to watch. Uh, Charlie Adam played against him obviously for East Fife uh, uh, East Fife against Rangers um, and again just range of passing you know left foot's just a wand and then Kinchelskis uh, uh, I'll tell you my, my front three as well is Griffiths Boyd and Lovenkranz. Um and the reason I'm telling you Lovenkranz and Kinchelskis I actually played against them in the same game I played right back in a friendly there'd been some snow or something and we played Dunfermline played Rangers in a friendly at Murray Park Um and I played right back in the first half and played against Lovenkranz. I actually did really well. I was proper chuffed for myself. And I was meant to only play a half. And one of the players that was hurting, and Jimmy Nichols said to me, tell you what, Greg, just jump in at left back. 
for the second half. And I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, buzzing. I'll, I'll play more, you know. It was kind of first-team friendly. And uh, Rangers brought Ch- uh, Kanchelskis off the bench for the second half to play right, right wing. And I'm like, <sighs> so uh, thankfully he wasn't interested at all. He just couldn't be bothered. So uh, I got a quite an easy afternoon out of it. But yeah, just to, to play against somebody that, you know, you'd seen play for Man United was brilliant. Uh, Boyd, just a goal scorer. You know, I think obviously that game we played against him, he didn't really do much other than stick the ball in the net a couple of times. Uh, and then Griffiths similarly played against him when he was at Dundee uh, at Dens. And we did great. We marked him at the game for almost the whole entire game. And he got one chance um, and, uh, and put it away. Just a one-on-one, got slid through one chance and he put it away. Uh, just absolutely clinical and just happy just to dance about offside. He didn't really know where he was at any one time. So, yeah, we'll go with Griffiths and that one as well. So. Superb, mate. I don't know if I'm speaking for both Michael and I, but I sure am. That was an absolutely excellent interview. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Really enjoyed Good. it. Good, mate. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's nice to, it's nice to take a wee walk to memory lane, isn't it? And yeah, just think yeah. about uh, some things that you haven't thought about in a long time. So I think Liam had said to me in, my e- in an email as well, but there was a, had a story about Jim Muffet, but uh, yeah, I'll leave that for another time maybe. But uh, a couple of things that uh, happened with him. But Liam had said try and mention it, but uh, I'll leave that. You've got to know. I'll we'll squeeze it in. Right. It was um, so I remember we were playing at Hamilton, and uh, Hamilton were a decent side at the time, and we were defending pretty much all game. Dukes had been up front. We were back defending a corner, and there was only about five minutes to go, and uh, ball gets cleared. And Jim Muffet had been on at me saying, like, basically sit the whole game. Do not move. Right. I just want you to sit. I'm like, hey, okay, not. Oh, do I have to? Um, and so the ball got cleared and I'm running with the ball and I'm like, I can't see Dukes has been back defending the corner. There's nobody ahead of me apart for Herks flying up the right-hand side and he runs offside and we're still running. And I, I just, I can hear Jim Muffet's voice in my ears saying like, you've got to sit. And so I'm like, I get to about maybe 30 yards for their goal and I'm getting crowded out and I think, fuck it, I'm just going to hit it. So I've smacked this thing and it's flew into the corner, thankfully, and it put us 1-0 up. And we ended, and then I think Gary, o- was it Gary O'Connor maybe made a mistake in the last minute, I think, and we, we ended up drawing 1-1, which was still a good result. And uh, we came in after the game and, and Jim says, oh, you know, great performance, lads, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Greg, you know, uh, terrific goal, great strike. But he says, I think you made the wrong decision. He says, you should have passed it. And and I and I just sat there kind of dumbfounded, like, what? And I just looked about the dressing room, and like you see Kevin Bain and some of the guys just like biting their lip, and even like Craig Robertson, who's behind him, was just like kind of like smiling. And we all honestly thought he was joking. And then, then Craig Robertson's like, Jim, you sure? And he's like, I just thought he should have passed it. I thought you know it was on for Herx. We're like, well, no, he spanked the ball in the net for thirty yards. I'm like, oh, we'll take that. And it, it was just, and we all started falling about and laughing. It was just one of these weird wee kind of moments that I, uh, uh, you look back on now and just crazy, crazy, dis- crazy things that you say as a manager. I've been there myself. Crazy things you say as a manager. So yeah, yeah, that was that was superb. Yeah, brilliant. Enjoyed it. Well. If, if you're up for it, we would definitely have you back on. Um, Happy to any time, mate. Just let me know. And I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try and that. tone down the Judas shouts. Aye, aye, I'll aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I'll be getting now when I come back. You know, whether it'll be Judas or I'll still be getting called Toro for my big ass. But uh, it'll uh, <laughs> always be Toro. Yeah, it'll I've got a bull song that I'm going to play you out with now as well. So I've thought of oh, one. Right.
So that was Greg McDonald there and, and what was an absolutely outstanding interview. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Really engaging guy to talk to. Um, a lot chattier than I expected. You know, when you, you, you see boys, obviously like the, the Dundee boys, Dev, Paul McManus, you know, the guys that we've spoken to before, you expect them to be really chatty. I don't know why. I didn't expect Greg to be as chatty as he was. I thought he might be somebody that would have to drag an interview out, but he, he pretty much interviewed himself. Yeah, I feel like we say this all the time. It's like it was a really great interview, but all the interviews we've had, they have been really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And just the the warmth with which he speaks about the club and like being a manager as well. And to, to become a manager at such a young age in the team that you've been playing with, I mean, it can't have been easy. And I know he had his ups and downs at Sterling. I, I hope he gets back into the game at a good level soon. I think he really... He really deserves to. But when you look back at, at his time at East Fife, and he was described as Mr. East Fife. He was a guy that gave his heart and soul for that jersey. When, when you hear the early stages of that interview and he's talking about he had the chances, he could have been, as you said, Minnesota, Melbourne or Methyl, and he picked Methyl. I think we're all grateful for that. No, definitely. And look, I think Greg's one of those people that he captured everything that you'd like to see in an East Fife player. You know, he had pride, he had passion, he had grit, he had determination, he had goals when he needed to. And um, Johnny Smart spoke about in his episode about um, how he felt that Roy Keane was a character that could drag a team through a game. I don't think Greg would maybe like drag you through a game by talking. He would he would just lead by example. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the sort of person that could you felt that he could find that extra five percent or that extra ten percent to to carry a game forward for the team, for the fans. And, it's, you know, we loved Greg. And I think he loved us. You know, we, yeah. we spoke a bit about the Toro nickname and, you know, where that came from and us having the, the Spanish flag at the games with the bull on it. And, you know, for me, you know, he's, he's made a good few people's all-time 11s in terms of fans, but not only just fans, you know, players too. So it's good to see that he's respected across the board. I can't remember who it was that had described him, we talked about it during the interview, as being a consummate professional, but that's the that's the image you always gave over. Yeah, I'm sure it was Dev. I'm sure Dev said he was the, the consummate professional. And it was the same, you know, I, I tried to get um, Paul McManus and, and Bobby and, and, and these sort of guys to give me a bit of an inside scoop so that we could maybe, you know, uncover a story about him. him. <laughs> yeah, or slot <laughs> him. I was going to stitch him up. It sounds a bit more PC, but, you know, I... I like to, to um, pull the rug from our guest a little bit, and and nobody nobody had anything on Greg because he was such a nice guy. And yeah, but I mean, he he said that's because he he was maybe boring. But I, it's like I said in the interview, you can't have a whole locker room of like nut jobs. You have to have some common influences in there, otherwise it's like it would just be chaos, and you're not going to do anything about a team like that. It's great for us hearing the stories. If you imagined a whole squad where it was all. Like, if, say he had a whole squad of bibbies, as an example, that would be, like, hard to manage. No, well, I uh, got a text from Johnny earlier on, and he was like, when's my episode out? And I was like, <laughs> next week. And he's like, I wish I'd prepared more for it, because loads of stories have come and fl- flooding back to me since. So I was like, all oh, right. Wow. So I was like, well, maybe need to do a, a J part two. And he was yes. like, definitely, definitely up for that. However, um, one of our coming up guests, uh, Dougie Cameron, who I believe listens to the the show itself, Dougie, your teammates are trying to 
seriously, seriously wind you up here. So maybe just be prepared for some of the questions and some of the things that they might say. I'm intrigued. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything, and I think I'll even keep keep that from you until such times that we interview them because. Oh yeah, yeah it's uh, there's some good stories in there. But moving on from that, thanks again to to Greg, um, absolute legend. We love you, and we hope to see you back at Baby soon. So we're going to move on to this week's "Who Do You Think I Am?" or "Who Are You?" I'll let you actually lead that into that song. That's better than mine. So I'm going to give you the answer to last week. So we had a few right answers. We had a few wrong answers. And we had a few shite answers. Um, oh. So, yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, some people are wildly, wildly wrong. Um, I, I, was, I also want to explain why I got this wrong as well. But, yeah. No one cares, Mike. You got it wrong, and that's all that matters. So... <laughs> Just take your medicine, pal. <laughs> I did not know that he played for Wraith Rovers and he started his career there. Obviously, I do now because we, we've spoken to him since we did this. But, yeah, I, that's what threw me because I just I genuinely did not know that he... I thought he'd just come to the game from the amateurs. There you go. And the answer to that question, he's a man that we've all dreamt of, hopefully dryly, but Mr. Johnny Smart. Uh, I think that uh, not many people got that wrong, although there was a few horrendous shouts. But yes, um, delighted to announce that Johnny's going to be our guest next week. I thought that was a good way to tee that up, and we hope you enjoy listening to that episode as much as we enjoyed uh, filming it, because there was a few times that I I had to put myself on mute. Um, And we will apologise in advance. I think that one's going to have to come with a trigger warning that um, uh, you may be disturbed. You may uh, find yourself speaking fluent Dundonian I immediately after it. Starts in N, pen, and and all that sort of banter immediately after it. But I didn't think that because we were talking afterwards and you were saying, oh, it's so strong and you work in Dundee. And to me, I, I understood him totally. What I am finding, though, is by doing these... And my wife picked up on this when I've been editing it and she's been hearing it is I, I keep saying I and I don't say that here. But as soon as I speak to another Scottish person, I'm like I, I instead of yeah. So I'm trying to get out of saying that because it's so weird. I'm doing so many of these interviews with you and the shows with you. And then I'm speaking to people here and I've no idea of where I am and who I'm speaking to. Like today I spoke to Gary Mackay Stephen and I ended up speaking really strong accent to him. And he's speaking really strong back. And I'm pretty sure all the folk in New York in the call were like, I don't understand a word of what's just been going on here. <laughs> to be fair, it's anything's better than hearing your yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I don't do that. It's more yeah. No, it's definitely not. If is you it, listen, oh, it, no. It's, it's, a, it's a total yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay, I'll have to work on <laughs> that as well. Mm. Definitely not as bad as Dev's accent. And Dev, if you're listening, that I sent you the the Lemmy tweet that was like, oh, accent man. Yeah, that's exactly that. So before we just go down the line of just talking absolute nonsense, here's this week. Who are you? So, this week's Who Are You? Question number one. Michael, you um, don't know the answer to this one yet, so we'll see if you get it. You can tell me after we go off here. Born on the 8th of July, 1981, is question number one. Question number two. 
started his career at Stirling Albion, scoring four goals before getting a move to Motherwell for 100,000. Mike's given me the thumbs up, so he obviously knows what this is going to be. Came to East Fife in 2004, scoring 11 goals in his first season before a spell in England. Came back to East Fife and scored two goals in 15 games in the 2007-2008 season. And his final club was in 2012 was Belingre Rovers. Who am I? So, as always, if you know the answer, feel free to slide into the DMs um, and let us know what your thought process or your answer is. I say thought process a lot, so I keep saying thought process. So, if you think you know who it is, then give us a shout. And if the last clue is that he signed with Balingri Rovers, surely that just limits it to about 50 or 60 people. Or former East Fife, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Johnny Smart this time. <laughs> <laughs> So that was one of our regular segments. Now it's time for another, and it's time for this week's Wavelength, which if you haven't listened to the show before, it's the part of the show where we play a song all about football. And I'm going to do something this week that I don't normally do with Wavelength, which is I'm going to play a song by an artist two weeks in a row. Because last week we had Half Man, Half Biscuit. This week we're going to have Half Man, Half Biscuit. And the reason for that is because the song kind of ties in with what we're going to talk about after it to do with East Five season tickets. So we've gone for a song from their 1997 album, Voyage to the Bottom of the Road. And this is a, a real heartfelt song called Dead Men Don't Need Season Tickets. Yeah. 
Man, half biscuit there with dead men don't need season tickets. I mean, it is true. If someone's passed away and you know they've got a season ticket, there's nothing wrong with going round and, and speaking to their, their wife or family and they, they've got no use for it anymore. Harsh, but fair. And on the back of that, if you do know anybody that's died that's bought a season ticket, please feel free to get in contact with us and we'll ensure that it's your life properly. <laughs> so we're going to go over to the, the last segment of the show, which is our mailbag. So the mailbag this week, we got a message from Alan Rankin, um, who I wanted to, to, to drop a little message to us around a great experience that he'd had with the club. So the message that Alan said was that I think that I'll probably have to take slight ownership of this after I brought it up in the podcast <laughs> in advance but basically Alan had spoke to the club because him and his wife buy season tickets um, every year and if the Covid stuff starts then obviously why would they buy more than one and how is the club going to deal with that and he says that you know instead of you know Jim Stevenson getting somebody else to do it. He personally picked up the phone and explained the club's decision, which was a, a real nice touch, and, and it resulted in Alan buying the two-season tickets anyway. Alan just reached out just to say that he wanted to ensure that Jim got the credit for this. I, I think that that's great. You know, it would be very, very easy for Jim to just pass it on on somebody else and just say, well, buy it or don't. But, you know, he took the personal touch to make sure that he reached out and, and, and answered all the concerns. And, it, you know, Alan said after that that they started talking about other things too. So it, I think that that's, again, that's the difference between a, a big club and a wee club. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's, it's also the difference in East Fife now and East Fife, say, perhaps 10, 15 years ago as well, where you just did not have this kind of fan engagement and fan interaction. And... I mean, this is a good time to possibly quickly chat about as well. We still obviously don't know what's happening with fans getting to attend or not. And a lot is going to really depend on what happens with the Premier League and how things go there. And a little bit of concern this week when there was a, some positive tests around St Myrne. They've all been given the all clear now, but it just shows you. And we've seen it over here in MLS where two clubs had to not play the MLS tournament because their players, they had nine and ten players test positive for for COVID. It just takes one club to derail this, one club to not follow the procedures. Rangers are being asked to, to clarify that they have followed testing procedures properly as well. We can't take our eye off the ball here because if the Premier League clubs mess this up, 
It's going to have a big impact for the lower leagues. And we can't afford not to be having fans at games because these small teams need to get fans back in the stadiums. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I see so much complacency around this and there's not any room for complacency with this. It's a deadly virus that's killing people, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I saw your Facebook share yeah, from the hairdressing salon. Yeah, yeah we'll not name any names because I'll let yeah. you all see yourself and, I'll, and he's already trying to sue someone for slander, so I'll not say any, uh, too much oh. about it. But there's a, a salon in the Glenothis area that has said that his staff won't be wearing masks and that, uh, you know, it should be optional. Listen, mate, it's, it's not optional. It's, it's, it's black and white. It's the letter of the law, and that's the way it should be. And, you know, the police are just going to have to sit outside there, and they'll be able to collect some, some free cash. You know, it, I, I took one look at the guy's Facebook, and he's saying that 5G um, is, is the cause of it, and, you know, that dentists are putting microchips in people. And honestly, you would Okay, one of them. Yeah. You know, um, just one of these absolute complete space cadets. And it only takes one of these people to, to poison the mind of, of of so many. And, you know, I, I really hope that it looks like the majority of people are realising that this guy is just a complete balloon. But yeah. you will some people that will listen to him. So it's, but, know, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing with this. And, like, with I know we've been quite lighthearted in the show, but to be serious for a minute, it just takes one person to to have it, to pass it on to someone else, and then you've got a community spread. We've had it here in BC where we've been doing really well, but for Canada Day, there was a, a group of just eight people had a party, and as a result of that, and they all then passed it on to each other and to others, a thousand people have had to self-quarantine from an eight-person party because of the amount of people they exposed themselves to afterwards. That's absolutely ridiculous, honestly beyond crazy so yeah all joking aside don't do that and you know i made a joke before we came online with, with michael that you know rangers not following a process properly and you know trying to dodge the books well the lesson about that better. <laughs> but like in football terms especially to get it back to that these clubs cannot do this and it's like East Fife in their statement last week said it's going to be difficult for part-time teams. We talked about that in last week's show. It is difficult, but it's important. And there's no concessions in this. It's like procedures have to get followed or Scottish football is not going to be going back to normal anytime this year. We've done so well in Scotland to deal with this compared to elsewhere in the UK, in the world, in Canada as well. We're seeing what they're doing in the States and it's like absolutely terrifying. So it just takes a couple of small lapses in this for it all to, to go tits up. So on a slightly more positive note, we'll move on from that. Um, the yeah. t-shirts went out this week. I delivered a few more of them today. I'm recording this on Friday. So the majority of people should have theirs now. I went to the post office today um, at 20 past three and it was shut. So I will hope to get them posted out to you, those that are needing it in the next few days. But just you, you are delivering mine in person, aren't you? Yeah, 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 that's that's definitely the way that I'm going to deliver that. Um, so again, thanks to everybody um, that bought one. I've met a few of you now that I didn't know before, and that was great. I, I shout to, to Max McCarroll, who came and picked up his T-shirt this morning. had a really good chat with him, and who has a, a yellow and black car because he couldn't get black and gold. But, you know, fair play to him, some kudos, and he's been introducing the, the pod to some people in Holland where he works. So good oh. shout out to Max for that. One more thing that I've got for this week is another all-time 11. Oh, now, excellent. The, you asked me to get it, 
and here it is. This is my dad, Chris Gillis's all-time eleven. Oh, here we go. Um, so, just go back to the thirties and the forties cup teams. <laughs> yeah, he actually handed it to me in hieroglyphics. I just had ah. to. To, you know, try and suss them out. You know, it was either that or Ink and Quill. So I thought I would uh, have to decipher it a little bit. But anyway, all joking aside about my ancient dad, who uh, on the day this gets released is the 26th, um, which is my dad's 62nd birthday. So happy birthday, dad. Wow, so, I didn't know he was that young. Yeah, I know. He's just looked 66. <laughs> Maybe I better stop poking fun at him. Yeah. Across the road from me and he's going to beat me up. So dad started off with Davy Gorman as his goalkeeper. Um, he went between him and Ernie McGarr, but he eventually settled on Davy Gorman. He's went for a, a back four of Davy Clark, Johnny Smart, Stephen Tweed, and Gary Naismith. Oh, interesting. Yep. In midfield, he's went for Stevie Archibald, Bobby Lynn, and Greg McDonald. Interesting and, again. Yep. And up front, he's went for Billy McPhee. Kenny Joker and Gordon Jury. Ah, like what I'm finding interesting about that is that I think a lot the team that we had in the mid '80s. That's what made a lot of my my old time eleven. So it's interesting. He's gone primarily for like the '70s and then the later years, where like I guess the 2000s really with Archie and from the '90s and Jury from the '80s. So that's a very interesting eleven. I like that. That's a good team as well. That team would. That would get us a few promotions over the years. Well, he's also had. I had to let him have some subs because he was moaning and whining that he couldn't pick. So I gave him some subs as well. So he's went for Ewan Donaldson, Ernie McGar, Paul McManus, Stevie Kirk, and Div was his subs. I gave him five because I was feeling generous. So I think that yeah, I think there was probably a large section of the games that my my dad didn't get to as much. I probably ruined that for him for a little oh. while. Um, so I think that his team that he's gone for is probably a mixture of the, the, the seasons that he went to the most. But, you know, I, I mean, obviously I, I don't remember David Gorman or David Clark or Archie or, or Billy McPhee, you know, they, they're before my time. But, you know, I think that apart from that, looking at his team, it's a good team. That's a really good team. That defence is a solid defence. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think we can see the goal with that defence. I really don't. Yeah. Um, one of the names that he brought up, though, um, in terms of Kirky, is a name that we've maybe not discussed on the podcast enough. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, he's somebody that I would really like to speak to. So if anybody's got any contact details from him, send them our way. We would love to speak to him in terms of, you know, he went on to have an amazing career, um, but obviously ultimately came back to the Fife a few times, managed us, played for us, that sort of stuff. So definitely would like to speak to him if anybody's got any details. Yeah, when I first started going, like, Kirky was in the team, and then he went to Motherwell, obviously, as well, and I just remember what a great player he was. I was so happy for him when he won the Cup with Motherwell, and the, the impact he had on that team and in that Cup final as well. And then he was one of those guys, he came back as a manager, and he had an up-and-down time. We're not a great team, to, to be honest. And I think it, for some fans, not me, but for some fans, it's maybe tainted what they think about Kirky a little bit. And that's why I'm always a little bit wary when like your star players or whatever come back again. It's like when Dave Clark came back for his second stint as manager and it wasn't anywhere near as good as the first one. It's like just a slight tarnish on Clarkie's legacy as a manager. Obviously not tons because of what he did with us in the 80s was absolutely phenomenal. And as a player as well from the late 60s onwards. 
But I'd love to, to chat to Kirky. That would just be an amazing two-hour chat, I think, with him. Yeah, and another person that I really want to chat to would be Jim Moffat. He's another one that I kind of feel gets a bit of a, a poor end in the stick because I think that yeah. he took us up against all odds and obviously we pretty much got relegated after that and he got kind of hounded out a little bit and I hope that that doesn't change his thoughts towards the club. I would love to speak to Jim Moffat because, you know, I would credit that team for igniting my love for, for East Fife. I, I always loved football, but you know that, that, that season really took it to a different level for me, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. And a, a, a serious story, he was a PE teacher, I think it was at Buckhaven, Buckhaven High School, um, and I, I was a keeper at that point, and I saved um, a penalty in that game, and I, I made a few good saves. And he didn't know I was an East Fife fan at that point. He came up to me and he was like, you're some keeper, wee man. I still remember that. My dad was absolutely buzzing. And he's like, you know who that was? And, and you know, I was like, that was Jim Moffat, East Fife manager. He was like, we need to get you for a trial. I was like, <laughs> let's not get too much into that. So, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, I've got great memories of Jim Moffat and um, celebrating with the fans on the pitch after us winning the promotion. And, you know, I would absolutely... Love to have a chat to him, I really would. I just had a quick look there, he's 60 now, so I don't know if he could be even arsed with, with doing this, but also, as you say, he was hounded out, he got a bit of a a really tough time of it towards the end of his time there, and yeah, it'd be interesting how he views the club, like does he hold it in high regard considering what else he, he did and where he played and stuff, or is this a, a club that he kind of has a little bit of... Just, just not happy with how it ended and just some of the abuse that he got. Yeah, like, I don't think sour grapes would be the, the right expression. Yeah, I think actually, got, that might be a good expression, though. I, I saw, well, no, because I think that he, doesn't, he didn't deserve that. I think sour grapes would maybe mean a wee bit more that he deserved that. I think maybe more bitterness. Maybe mm. a little bit of bitterness towards us in terms of how it ended, but I was yeah. hoping not. And if for some reason, Jim, you're, you're sitting at home with a chocolate digestive and you're listening to this, you know, please do get in touch. You know, we would absolutely love to talk to you. Absolutely. So that's pretty much everything from, from us this weekend. We've, we've kept you on fairly long. You're probably getting sick of our chat by now. Um, you're probably very sick of hearing my monotone voice along with Mike's yah Canadian accent. So we're going, to wrap, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up there. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you listening to us all once more. I've been Lee Gillis. I've been Michael McCall. Stay safe, control the virus, keep calm, carry on, and insert another catchphrase here. But more importantly, Monday Fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>